whatever fourth now. Mm. He won the first physique, uh, classic physique. You know who Danny Hester is, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. He's yeah. been training at Gold's. Oh, he's back. been around forever, and he's still still shredded. He's still in really good shape. He's always in. He trains Mickey Rourke. Mm. It's it's amazing how like uh, that Gold's Gym Venice like feels to me like it's uh, forever frozen in time. What do you mean? <laughs> Nothing changes there. Like people are like stuck there. I was just having this, this, who did I talk about? One of the guys, I was just talking about how people look the same for, was it the girls I was talking to? I think the girls, I said, people look the same, you know, 30 years later when I go back home and they've trained longer than me and probably been in the gym more than me in 30 years and they still look the same. Did you used to train at Gold's Gym Venice regularly? I did actually, the first time, you know, it's kind of a funny story because when you're in Massachusetts, all you hear about is the Mecca bodybuilding, right? And I was one of those people that didn't realize that it's not the original gold gym where Arnold trained, like right. that's someone's house now. Like you <laughs> knock on the door and these people, old people come to the door and yeah, it still says gold's gym on the front right. of the house. I never understood why someone's house, they want to still have gold's gym on the front of their house. But, uh, so I was able to travel out to gold's gym Venice when I was nine. I just had won the teen nationals at 19 and Chris Aceto was training uh paul de mayo remember paul de mayo yeah the huge legs yeah for uh for the mr usa and that's the year cormier actually won his pro card and quadzilla yeah right quadzilla. that's his name paul de mayo yeah, quadzilla. He, was, he was favored to win you know craig titus was in that show mike francois was in that show dennis newman when he was mm -hmm. on the upcoming and uh he called me and he says hey jay i have an opportunity for you and there was a misprint in the boston globe which was a big newspaper and Massachusetts and they, they had round trip airline tickets on American for $99. Oh shit. So for, for me being broke, uh, just coming off the T nationals, I was like, man, I'm going to take advantage. So I literally called all night long and just before midnight, I actually got a hold of someone and they said, Oh, sorry, it's a misprint. I said, well, you have to honor it. Right. And they said, yeah, we do. So I was able to fly shit. round trip tickets to, uh, California and I was able to go out and watch that show. And I remember, you know, we stayed quite a distance from Gold's and my girlfriend at the time and I walked to the gym and I remember going there and being like, oh my goodness, I'm in Gold's Venice. And that what was year? like What year are we talking about? 93. <clears throat> so uh, Paul Dillette around at that year? Yeah, or is it he was on? there, but Ot Flex Wheeler was there. Obviously Cormier won the show. I saw him posing in the gym. I saw Keanu Reeves in there. <laughs> uh, Tommy Lee Jones was there when I was there, but we stayed in the gym for like six hours. <laughs> <laughs> we're like one of those like tourist people that just <clears throat> sat and watched and who's going to come and like that was like a i only read about it in the magazines keanu getting ready for speed <laughs> that was yeah. around that time yeah. i think <laughs> the girl that was in speed with him uh no not speed point break with the short oh. hair she was training there all the time i don't know what her name was mm. there's but, tons of famous people professional wrestlers professional bodybuilders actors actresses producers directors i mean you name mm -hmm. it it's a, a conglomerate of you know uh these high level people just kind of in their training and working out it's it's a strange dynamic I guess. yeah the barbarian brothers were there then. <laughs> remember the barbarian brothers absolutely the barbarian brothers those were those guys were a bunch of savages they used the entire stack on just about every exercise yeah i didn't understand like they were in overalls and shit in the gym and work boots you know that wasn't <laughs> That wasn't something we saw in Massachusetts. So it was like a bit of a culture shock and people with like very high afros and like yeah. 
this outfits I've never seen before. Yeah, remember the uh, you'd look in like Flex magazine, and somebody would have sunglasses on in the gym, a stringer tank top, some weird frayed like cut off shorts, a fanny pack, and those giant ass uh, bodybuilding shoes. And you were like, yeah. "What the hell is like? How long did it take somebody to get ready for the gym?" Oh, these <laughs> these guys were done up, you know. And back then we wore the bushy socks and all that stuff to right. make our calves look bigger and. We wore the unitards. Wait, wait, wait. What's oh. this? Bushy socks yeah. make the calves look yeah. bigger. I had to write smoky, bushy socks. Write that down. We need bushy socks. Make the calves yeah. look bigger. Yeah, hey, I'll, I'll I'll utilize whatever trick we need we need to utilize. That's part of that attire we <clears throat> talked about bringing back the the balloon pants and all that shit. You know? Oh yeah, the bum equipment. Yeah, T. Michael. So at nineteen, uh, you were already pretty deep into this. When did you get into bodybuilding? I started at eighteen. My 18th birthday, I actually joined the gym. So you must have pretty good genetics. I mean, I know a lot of people want to push things off the genetic potential. And whenever there's a Mr. Olympia or somebody who's a professional at something, people are like, oh, it's just, it's genetics. But the genet there must be a huge genetic component if you were able to grow that much and be successful in one year of bodybuilding. You know, what's crazy is I, you know, I grew up in a kind of construction farm background so i had a stocky body i was an athlete i was a football player would you say husky i don't know not husky because husky is kind of like i think faddish yeah but i was like faddish beardish guys you know Mm -hmm. yeah i i'm understanding we we get very frustrated with that type around here poor smoky so so you know i was lean and uh i was just you know i'm five foot nine so i don't i don't i don't call myself short but i'm not tall right i mean it's the <laughs> ideal right. ideal height that's the right. b- biggest biggest thing people are like oh i thought you were taller in the magazines i said no i was just wider but not as tall and for me you know i had grown up with a athlete athletic background meaning i was just a lot of i was very physical so like we, I had to work a lot. I did concrete work in my brother's business. I did farming work, but I was, you know, I was a kid, active kid. I did bike riding. I did all that stuff. Uh, you know, played sports in the, in the neighborhood and everything. And in high school, I played football, but even before I get into football, I was always flexing for like, you know, my sister's or brother's friends. You know, I was arm wrestling. I was a great arm wrestler, even at 14, 15. And you were flexing probably because you had some muscle. On, I had right? muscles. I mean, I so was like, hey, flex your arm, right? I mean, it's funny because we can dig back into the photo albums, the family photo albums, and there's so many pictures of me flexing when I was like five, seven, nine, because mm. I had, you know, little biceps and all that stuff. But I always wanted to be like a superhero. I mean, that was my thing. I remember I saw a picture of Chris Dickerson, who was a former Mr. Olympia, at 12. And I told my oldest brother, uh, his name is Bob, and I said, this is what I want to look like. And he thought I was crazy. I mean, he's like, this guy's got muscles everywhere. You know, why would you want to look like that? And I just saw it to me, it kind of intrigued me a little bit. And that's uh, kind of where I started with the idea of, Oh, I want to get into weight training. And I had that mindset. It just didn't happen until I was 18. And for many reasons, what were some of the reasons? What were some of the hurdles in trying to get into it? Because I was forced to work. I was forced to work a lot. I mean, I, I got the time, you know, my family actually allowed me to play football, which they were begging me to come uh, play football and do track. I just couldn't commit to track because there was only so much time I was working like before school, after school, school vacations, weekends, and that was a family business. So there was no really set hours. It was like till we get the job done. Mm. So I was limited on what I could really do. And, 
you know, when I did those, those team sports, it, it didn't really excite me. I was very good at it, but I kind of, I was kind of an introvert and I didn't have, uh, a lot of social, uh, I didn't really want to be a social. And although I became really popular in school and mostly because of my partying, like we partied a lot, uh, that's really, you know, I kind of like enjoyed time by myself. And that's why I think I adapted so well when I started weight training at 18 but I was very limited with time and that's mm. why I didn't uh, get into the weight training. Although I partied high- a lot. What's that mean? Just like hung out or like drank or we drank, uh, I would, you know, drink alcohol. Obviously, uh, we had huge parties. I had a lot of land, you know, we had like, like hundred acres of mm. farmland. So we'd have these big bonfire parties and the whole school would show <laughs> Holy up. Holy shit! You know, even when I was a sophomore, like everyone would, you know, party at the Cutler house and people would come there we'd get kegs of I beer i think by and, the way this is the east coast thing because we yeah. did the same thing <laughs> and uh we would all party there'd be 400 kids partying outside and every weekend it was like man you could have another party and of course with the party and came you know a lot of friends and you know people want to be friends with you and whatever so i had some of the biggest parties in the history of my high school i mm. think what was uh what was like your introduction to weights how'd you how'd you i mean i, I know you said you had a lot of interest in them and then was there somebody that said, Hey, let's go to a gym or was there a coach or mentor right off the bat? Or you just made a decision one day, I'm going to get a gym membership cause I'm 18. I actually, <clears throat> I started watching Rocky movies. I think that's kind of inspired me in the beginning. And of course I heard of Arnold. Actually, the funny thing is I didn't watch pumping iron until later, but I, uh, I started looking at magazines off magazine racks and that's kind of how I got introduced. I remember going in GNC and seeing very limited amount of supplements. It was more just vitamins and stuff like that. And, uh, I started reading books from there. I first book I ever read at 16 was this beyond built by Bob Paris. That was, a, you know, kind of my guideline Ended up writing a book later that kind of mimicked that. But, uh, that was the first <clears throat> book that I ever read that was instructional training. And I kind of took those, a lot of those theories and a lot of those exercises that he posted in that book. And that's what I put towards my training. Although I was more visual. So I watched guys work out in the gym. Did he ever know that? Did Bob, does Bob Paris? I'm sure uh, he knows. Cause I've mentioned it so yeah. many times. And Chris Dickerson knows he was the first bodybuilder I ever saw mm-hmm. in a magazine. And I just had this vision of, okay, this is what I want to do. But I knew I was partying too much and I wasn't on a good diet. And I learned about the nutrition aspect. And to this day, I preach nutrition. Anyone that speaks to me or listens to my seminars or read what I speak about, it's nutrition because nutrition is the key to all building the ultimate body. You know that yourself. I mean, your body composition has changed a lot. So for me, it was like, okay, I know the structure that needs to be there. I'm not willing to commit to that until I graduated high school and I started actually going to college. You know, I joined the gym on August 3rd, 1991, which is my birthday. I, I was turning 18 and I joined the local gold gym, which was Worcester, Massachusetts, right outside my, my hometown. And then, you know, I, I didn't start training until the fall. I started school like probably two weeks later in college, I was pursuing a degree in criminal justice. And that's when I stopped working for the family <clears throat> business and I could focus on school and working out. And that's how it all started. What was the family business? You mentioned some farming and some construction. Concrete, concrete work. My brother's still on that business. They're, you know, they're, all their kids are working in it now, but they wanted me to be involved with that, which I hated it. I mean, did it from 11 to 18. 
And I knew that that wasn't how I wanted to live the rest of my life. What did your parents think of bodybuilding? They didn't like it in the beginning. They were just kind of like, this is, this is kind of stupid. Um, it really doesn't, I don't understand how you can make a living at it. And I, I didn't actually, that was my, my whole goal was, man, if I could just finance myself, I used to see guys pitch it in magazines next to Ferraris. I thought every guy was rich that lifted <laughs> weights, you know, on muscle and fitness. Right. Uh, little did I know sooner or later, most of the guys don't, don't make a lot of revenue, you know, that wasn't their car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was called what they call today posers, you know? Right. So they were kind of confused and listen, no one, seven kids, I'm the youngest, no one lifted weights. My dad was 65. Uh, he had raised kids already that didn't, weren't into that kind of stuff. So he just thought, okay, if you're not using a shovel or a hammer, how are you going to make money? Cause that's how we grew up. And uh, I had a huge opportunity in front of me in the family business. Although he, he was, he was favored, favored towards me going to college. Cause none of my brother, a lot of my brothers and sisters never graduated high school, but they were hard workers and they were very successful. That's just the, the, how we grew, grew up. I mean, kind of like, you know, I was making money at 11 years old and buying all my own stuff. I had a car registered and insured when I was 14. I drove it all the driver's license. I mean, that's just what it was, you know? <laughs> And, uh, I was, you know, very successful and I made a lot of money in high school because I worked for the family business. So I was able to go out to dinner. I bought my own clothes and I was doing well, you know, enough financially. Although once I got into weight training, it wasn't as easy because I stopped working for the business and I was working like real jobs doing security. And I worked as a line cook. I worked on a golf course. I was making between five and $7 an hour. So mm -hmm. I'd have to work, work a lot of hours for my chicken breasts and the gas <laughs> right. cars. I mean, shit, I drive to the gym. I remember driving to the gym and back then gas was 99 cents a gallon. I remember running out of gas, but I didn't care because I was, you know, heading to the gym. So I'd, <laughs> I'd scrounge up change. I remember putting 99 cents in my car sometimes just enough to get back and forth to the gym. Many times. Been there myself. <laughs> but you know what? I didn't care because I was hitting gym and, you know, back then it's like we were training in, you know, I was training in tights and I was huge, huge on, I was a big squatter. I was able to to do a lot of weights and right away I was adapted to the weight training, you know, faster than most of the, those of the kids were. As a matter of fact, like I, I joined the gym in August and by Christmas time, you know, all the guys were asking me in the gym that I thought were huge. Like, what am I doing? Because I was progressing so quickly. And then by the spring I was competing in my first show and I got second in my first contest. And that was, wasn't even a year into training. Mm -hmm. A lot of people use money as like a crutch and they'll say, I don't have the money to like jump into some of that. Um, but it sounds like you figured out a way. You know what I did have, my mom helped me a lot. You know, my mom helped me with the food and I did, you know, I put everything towards, I drove a piece of shit car and, you know, I was scrounging up as little, I didn't do any other activities. It was strictly mm -hmm. all my money was spent on trying to better my body. And, uh, I had saved money, fortunately through my teenage years. So I was able to live off that for quite some time. So I was able to finance at least the food and, you know, the transportation and, and I was going to college, like I said. So, you know, I finished my two, two year degree. And when I graduated with my associates in criminal justice, I was actually competing at the teen nationals, mm -hmm. which I won as a teenager. And from then on, I knew, okay, this is going to be my career. This is what I want to do. Where do you think some of the drive came from? Just, it came from your, your parents giving you some, uh, foundation, some structure. It sounds like my drive was being forced to do what I had to do in the family business at the point when I was 11, 12, 13, all the way to 18, I hated 
my dad and my brothers, because I remember them dragging me out of bed, especially in high school when I used to probably mention those parties. I mean, I would be like hung over and they'd be like, you have to get up and go to work at six o'clock. And I'm like, I just got in an hour ago. <laughs> and, uh, for me, it was just partying and girls. That's all I cared about in high school. And, uh, I didn't care about, you know, I, it was a family business. So I like had no real structure at work. I showed up, I worked, we worked 14 hour days and, uh, you know, they did, they taught me the discipline. So later that set me up for definitely, uh, when I set out to do certain goals, I, as a, as a cutler, we never failed at what we did. So that discipline was there. The dedication had to be there because I was dedicated to working so much. And that work ethic really like carried over from that working family, the, uh, blue collar stuff. Right. And it's, uh, like monotonous, like uh, concrete. It's like, it's concrete. It's the same, <laughs> it's the same process every single time. It right? was the same. You know, we waited for the sun to come up and we were working under headlights at night because it's as a family business, you don't care about hourly wage. Right. Even though I was paid by the hour, uh, I mean, shoot, we, we were working for, I literally 14, 15 hour days. And I remember, you know, it's, it's crazy. Cause I would pray in the morning. I remember saying, please get me through this day. Cause I couldn't wait to be able to do something at night and hoping that the day passed so fast. I mean, so many people wake up and they want to just get through their days. Right. Cause they just don't like what they do. And that's how I was. I mean, I, I used to pray every morning, like, please make this day pass faster. And that's when I knew, I mean, after years and years of doing it, that wasn't my passion. Um, did your, uh, dad or brother also make you interact with the customers or are you more like grunt work? <laughs> I was grunt work, but I was still like, I was very mature for my age. Yeah. Everyone that met me didn't realize I was a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old kid. Cause that's a big component too. Having a, having a business like that. I mean, you can't, can't have anybody damage it. And, uh, you must've learned a little bit of li how, how to deal with people in a certain way, I guess. To be honest, I grew up around adults. So for me, I acted like an adult mm. and I carried myself, you know, very professionally and I carried conversation and I, I knew what was going on. It wasn't like I just was there as a body. I had to know the business. I learned the business. I was good at what I did, but I was also a beast. You know, I was lugging concrete forms around and I had the structure that the illusion of me, like everyone thought I was older then. And what did you weigh? Almost 200. And I was lean. So yeah. at, when you're 16, 17, that's still, that's why I was a great football player. I was bigger, right. faster, stronger than most of the kids. I mean, I mentioned I benched 315 in high school, like without even really lifting weights. Mm. It's for that, you know, that was like, people used to, I remember being at basketball games and they would, everyone would come in. It was like a, like an audience. And they'd say, Jay, come on, come on. Let's watch you bench 315. Cause no one did that shit. You <laughs> right. know? So we all go in the weight room and they'd watch me bench press and everyone be uh, like mind blown that I could actually do that much weight. You think that helped a little bit, uh, you know, starting your lifting a little bit later. I mean, even, even you did start as a teenager, but, uh, a lot of people start, like I started at like 11, 12 years old. Do you think that was an advantage for you later on starting a little bit later? I don't think that's really that late to be honest. I mean, I ask these kids nowadays, I mean, yeah, kids younger are starting because it's more apparent now, but I thought that was like the right time. I mean, when you're, you know, kind of maturing and, right. uh, I just, you know, I think my mindset was right then. So I, I think it just worked out perfectly. I mean, I, I look back at my career and 
as we get deeper in the conversation about it, I don't really regret anything. I thought that was the right age for me to start. I was more focused on, okay, this is a turning point in my life. This is really what I want to do. I started pursuing like what my passion I re- learned was, was weightlifting. I mean, I, I love to be in the gym and I always tell everyone it wasn't about the body. It was about the mind at first. And then it turned into when I saw this, the progression of the body, that's really what kept me motivated to continue. And I saw a huge progression. When did you learn about anabolic steroids? Because that is a part of bodybuilding. And so with you seeing these bodybuilders and like even Sylvester Stallone, was there a point where you kind of learned about it and you were like, wait, what? Or did you kind of know about it progressively as you were diving into it? I knew about it, you know, and it was more apparent when I showed up at the T Nationals, I could see guys in better condition and like, you know, guys that have more mature muscle at 17, 18, 19. And that's when I realized, wow, this is, you know, this is something that if I'm going to continue to do, I, I'm going to have to dabble in something like that. And uh, I didn't know much about like the deep ins and outs of training for a contest and what you needed to do. But I knew about testosterone. I mean, of course, I watched the Rocky movies at 12 and saw <laughs> yeah. Ivan Drago taking his <laughs> testosterone shot. What a cheater. Stallone would never do that. Yeah. The United yeah, States right. would never act that way. So I thought, <laughs> shit, you know, that's, that's the way, you know, but of course at 12, you think you're influenced. The movie means, okay, he's, he lost and steroids aren't the answer. Right. <laughs> right. So. Son of a, son of a bitch. Yeah. Um, as you got into it further, um, or, or just even like, um, seeing more modern day bodybuilding and seeing the size that people have uh, grown to, it seems like there's, uh people are confused. People are, a lot of people think it's just drugs. And a lot of people think, uh, the guy that gets the first place trophy just took a lot more shit than everybody else. What are some of your thoughts on that? I think it's bullshit. Cause when I started training, you know, I worked with, I mentioned, you know, when I started about six months in, I met Chris Aceto who trained me for almost my whole career, who was a great nutritionist. Uh, he, uh, he actually graduated first in his class exercise and nutrition and at Springfield college, which a lot of people don't know. And he taught me a lot about the nutrition aspect. And the funny thing is, is we rarely talked about drugs. Uh, and because that really wasn't one of those things. I mean, as a teenager, you, you really, you know, I had the physique and I was progressing super fast and everything was very, very basic. And that's the way I kind of believed. And I saw success right away from that. So I wasn't eyeing, okay, well, to move forward, I need to do a ton of drugs or anything like that shit. I mean, it was kind of like voodoo, right? No one talked about it and we didn't have the internet. So you couldn't mm-hmm. read about like cycles and that kind of stuff. The magazines definitely didn't talk about it. Um, every guy was natural in the magazines <laughs> and, uh, you know, every guy was just like, you know, took the supplements, the weeder, you know, the chewable right. wrench chain aminos or whatever they were selling at the time. So for me, you know, to see what's happened now and see what, people's perception is of what everyone takes including myself when i was winning mr olympia titles it's just i mentioned you guys earlier you know when you when you're a mr olympia contender like this there's been 13 right i was number 11 listen we we're destined for greatness you know drug take the drugs in or out drugs aren't going to make that person because you have to have the structure you have to have the mindset you have to have the muscle capability to manage uh, that much size and that much condition on stage balance, all that symmetry, those things you talk about. And I just think that society is becoming so jaded with, with how they perceive 
like what it takes to be at the top and they want shortcuts. And we talk about that, you know, you touched on an important thing was, was a work, work ethic. And a lot of today's society lacks that because it's the upbringing that brings that, you know, that blue collar shit that you don't hear about anymore. Like, you know, me sitting there telling you, I prayed every day to get through my work days. <laughs> yeah. Like that shit's like, that's what makes a person. And I never was the most genetically gifted guy on that Olympia stage, but I trained my ass off and I, uh, I knew how to diet and I, I was always on track with everything. I mean, I, everything was structured. I lived in a fucking box in order to be the best, meaning I had no outside. People would call me with their problems. I'd hang up on them. Like the phones were, were off. Don't bother me with negative shit. And I just went at it. And I think now the bodies, yes, there's some <clears throat> drug induced bodies. I think it's got out of control. I mean, you talk about all these peptides and all the bullshit now that goes into it. These people come up and ask me questions. I mean, I had, I was in Houston this past weekend and they're like, Hey, what do you think about this? I don't even know these fucking terms anymore. These people. Right. Use. I mean, I have no idea. I know about testosterone. I know about a few cutting agents and whatever, but it's not, uh, it's not something I'm even, uh, educated on. So I can't even speak on it. And people look at me like, oh, he's full of shit, <laughs> but it's a different era now. Right. And I think that the internet's fucked everything up. And I think that the magazines, you know, they gave a certain amount of information the right way. And once it became live on the net and you got these kamikaze type people, I think it kind of threw a wrench in a lot of things and influenced a lot of these young kids. What is it about some of the stuff with the internet that, that you don't like? There's a lot of positives to it, obviously, too. But what are some things that you don't like about the internet? Uh, it gives everyone a voice that don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah. really that's right. opinions, right? I can post a picture on Instagram and say, hey, you know... What do you think, uh, what do you think my best body part is or whatever? And everyone's going to go from calves all the way to the, you know, neck, you know, and they're going to say, oh, well, you're back and this and that. And then they're going to say, well, Ronnie Coleman had a better back. That's not the question I asked. Right. <laughs> it was about what do you, which body part was my best? Yeah. Fuck you, Ronnie Coleman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I think he's the greatest ever, but you know, we did our battles and right. you know, people have their opinions. Like judges had theirs. I didn't necessarily agree with the judging. I think a lot of it was off, but uh, I have a lot in my favor too. So it's not like I'm going to sit there and, and rag on the judging. But listen, man, the fans are fans are fickle like that. They just they have their favorites, and you know you're you're hot for a while, and then the, once you win a few, they hate you. Right. But fortunately for me, I've carried a huge fan base of all ages. Uh, I still travel tremendously and I'm still respected in this business to a lot of people. And, uh, that's why I continue to do what I do. And that's what drives me today. What did it take for you to be the best? You know, for each person, it's different. Some people, some people meditate and do weird shit. Right. And, and some people will just, uh, you mentioned to me like that you had coaches, uh, that worked on flexibility. You got a lot of soft tissue work. It sounds to me like, that you took this as a job, uh, almost <laughs> what's weird about it is it sounds like you put yourself in the same prison that you were in when you were a kid and you, you went to work that way. I think I tortured myself to be honest. I, I, uh, society that maybe liked some of that. I lived a very structured lifestyle and I don't know how it is in the power powerlifting world, but like we are kind of, uh, there's a lot of superstition, right. Of like, getting off trends so like getting off trend like mm -hmm. yeah trends <laughs> gotta get off that trend yeah. cough mm -hmm. so <clears throat> with me 
like I was contracted, right? Most of my career. I mean, Joe Weider signed me to contract when I was 23 and I was paid to work out, which was amazing to me. So I was getting a check no matter what, but I didn't take advantage of that, which I think a lot of guys do. So my life was structured where I'd still get up at six or seven in the morning and I would train whatever, twice a day. I'd be in bed at nine or 10 o'clock and then the day would start the next day. So I treated it, uh, with a, with a solid routine. You know, I followed the diet regimens, like I said, and you know, everything was on point. Uh, but I think the dedication and the commitment to what I do, I mean, that's really what makes the athlete, you know, I, I, like I said, I wasn't genetically gifted in, in certain areas, but I made up for it with the hard work. And that comes from the background, obviously the upbringing, but I was also stubborn as hell. Right. I mean, I, I just, I was told I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. I was told I wouldn't be a good pro. I was told I'd never turn pro, never win the Olympia. I never win it more than once after I lost it. They said, then I'd come back and win it again. So I think a lot of that's a little ego too. I mean, you have to have a little ego to be able to do what I do and be great at it. Uh, but I think everyone in their own right is destined for greatness. It just depends on what platform or what level they're willing to put out. And, you know, for me, it was, it was the fitness bodybuilding thing that allowed me to showcase my best talents. You need to have an ego, um, especially to get up in front of people like that and pose in little pair of underwear. Right? I mean, <laughs> honestly, dude, in the beginning, I thought it was so fucking weird. You know, like my, my mom is like, <laughs> you know, she didn't get it. Like we put on that dye and, you know, shaving the body, like All you're right. going to, you're going to do here in a couple months. <laughs> it's so strange. And you know, you, you, you're like orange, right. And you get up on stage and under the lights and you hit these poses and, you know, you have to learn how to, you know, sh show your strong points, but hide your weaknesses. And everyone has weaknesses, you know, and, and also be somewhat entertaining. I mean, it's not just flexing, right? It's I mean, not, it's... you got to be comfortable, which is not, I mean, being if up... you don't, if you don't look comfortable, they're going to recognize that. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, you know, for me, like that wasn't the fun part about what I did. The fucking, the best part was training in the gym. Like I love to train. Like I still, to this day, I love to train, but it was like the changes in the body and that was enough for me. But, you know, I was forced to get on stage because that was the only, that was the only, uh, place that I could showcase what I worked for in the gym. I think we feel the same with powerlifting. We don't really love the platform that much. We love the gym. You know, and probably some of your best lifts happened in the gym and not in a competition, right? Yeah. Some of the things I'm more proud of did happen in the gym and it's for different reasons. You know, you, you pour so much into, uh, the actual competition itself that in some weird way, it almost makes you sick. You know, you're like, fuck, I just don't even want to think about any of that. Like, you know, if you had like a Saturday, Sunday where all the guys would get together and you guys would, you know, you guys would converse in between, like on the stage, you don't have that shit, right? You're <laughs> all the people that helped get you there have to sit in the audience and you wonder what they're thinking. Cause they're up there with you, you know, just right. with, you know, not standing next to you, but they're, they're living with you. So like, it's just not the best place to showcase what kind of got you there. And I, I felt like. I was a little outside myself when I was up on stage until I got really comfortable. Shit. I remember guest posing and I really wasn't that comfortable until I got really good at it. And then, uh, you know, it was just like, okay, I'm, I'm coming up here. Just let me collect this trophy and, and go back to my normal life. That's how I kind of felt for the competitions. So it really, if you ever look at my victories and my losses, especially the Olympia, I had no reaction because I really, I, I didn't really care. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I worked my ass off, but I, I won that shit already. Like before I showed up because I want, it was always challenges to myself, not what the judges decided. And 
what the audience approval was. You were better than you were the year before and you knew it and you weren't. I was better just through the obstacles that are thrown at you in preparation, right? Every year obstacles were thrown at me. So for me, it was like, okay, I can stand up and showcase this, but it doesn't represent really what happened in the 16 weeks or even the, the, you know, 50 weeks that it took to get there. So it was just a, you know, like a minute that I was standing up there and flexing with a bunch of guys and then, you know, either grabbing a trophy or not and going home and going back to the same life. I mean, it didn't change anything. It changed how busy I was or whatever, but Listen, man, it, I was happy either way. Whether I won or lost, it really didn't make much difference in my life. Like some people take it more serious than others. I was winning just being able to do what I love to do. Let's see if that makes any sense. What about when you were by yourself? Like, um, you know, later that night or when you kind of thought about it and you're, you're sitting there and you have your trophy or you're sitting there uh, with your second place trophy. I mean, did you break down and cry whether you won or lost or was there like some sort of weird emotion that, that started to happen? Uh you know what it's you know it's not as good to look at right i mean the second place is you know th that built my character because it made the first that much better but honestly it it didn't affect me uh either way and i sat with my team and you know because i always had a team and i it was like you know is this you know what can we do to be better whether i won or lost see it was always the same discussion mm -hmm. that's the craziest thing like i won the mr olympia four times and those four times just like the six times I got second, it was the same discussion. Like, okay, who looked good? Uh, you know, how, how can I improve? What areas are better? Uh, what areas need work? It was the same discussions. Like there was no difference. So for me, it was, it was just back to the drawing board. Let's get this shit done. Let's move forward and try to improve my body and enjoy that year process of getting back in the gym and training for it. That's just, really what uh, it was. Just the attitude of always trying to figure out a way to get better. Dude, it was, it's never sad. It's like going and looking in the mirror, which I did, you know, 150 times a day. Right. <laughs> and I hit those poses and I say, I need bigger arms or I need bigger calves or I need bigger, bigger, you know, cuts and you know, this right leg or whatever. Like there was always improvements I needed to make. And I was always a perfectionist because I think bodybuilding, like you sit there and call us athletes or whatever you want to call us hobbyists or I think it's more artist, you know, it's, I don't know if necessarily powerlifting is an art, although the technique I would consider right. an art form. I think with bodybuilding, like it's, a, you're a fucking artist, bro. You're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're saying, okay, how can I create the best body for my genetics? Right. How, visually, how can I create? Because that's, it's a visual thing, right? We're judged on visibility and we're judged on how everything puts is put together and flows together. And it's your preference. Like you're built with, you're made with a certain structure. So you're, you're not going to have that small. I didn't have a small waist. I needed to get bigger shoulders. You know, my quads were outrageous, but that's, you know, that's what's just given to me. The calves weren't non-existent. I remember a sister saying to me when I was <laughs> 20 saying, why are your calves so small compared to your legs? And that fucking killed me, you know? <laughs> so, did you ever end up with some body image issues, like going through this process? I mean, it sounds like it's, uh, you know, day in and day out, um, I guess I'll just use the word ridicule, like almost uh, ridicule and you being like really paying attention to your triceps and your biceps and your forearms. You ever kind of develop, like if you ever feel you get done with a show and you feel fat and like, I don't know, all these different things might run through your head. I really didn't have any, because I felt like I was pretty complete, man. I mean, at, at 20, I was packed with muscle and everything kind of flowed by that point, although I did need to improve density. 
I mentioned density. I mean, that's just years and years of training. Uh, comparable to like when I stood next to Coleman, I'm like, fuck, my back needs work. You know, but he had the best back yeah, in the world. Huge. <laughs> and, you know, I had great legs from the front, but from the back, he, he demolished me a lot of years. And, you know, it's like, it's a trade-off, right? If standing there, I had better abs and the whole flow looked better. But when he turned around, he just wiped everybody out. That's what helped him win eight titles. And listen, the guy trained like a beast. And I used to watch his, his training stuff and saying, damn, how can he do that? You know, I'm not that strong. I, w I wanted to be that strong. Did that ever influence your training? That ever it did. Ever steer you the wrong it, way a little bit? It did influence me, although I, I didn't push past my limitations because everything was repetitions. I wasn't one or two rep guy. So I was always in a safe zone because I never did a weight that I couldn't do for more than uh, under eight repetitions. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was still somewhat smart, but I fell into that, you know, Ronnie training like he did and T-bar rowing, you know, nine plates and bent rows with four or five plates. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just insane. And and squatting 800 pounds. I mean, but I wasn't going to put on a, a squat suit <laughs> and, you know, take 20 minutes between each exercise. That yeah. wasn't my thing. What you saw in my videos was just everyday shit. You know, that wasn't, nothing was made up. And, uh, I knew eventually he was going to get older and he was going to, uh, start breaking down. And that's, I think where it actually came into play. How old is Ronnie Coleman? 54. I think he's 10 years older than me. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you were talking about like how genetics didn't play, you know, a part in, you know, majority of your career, but would you say like the mindset and the attitude of like finding pleasure and pain, is that something that maybe was genetically passed down to you? Yeah. But I think, um, I mentioned this in a documentary. I said, you got to be a little, uh, little mental, I think, to do what I did. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's one of those things where I, I don't want to sound crazy but you have to get to be a little fucked up in order to it's like a fighter right. right going in and wanting to just draw blood right mm -hmm. that doesn't make any sense you know it's like you want to be bigger but you've gotten up to 300 pounds and you're virtually all muscle and you're like my shoulders are small like you know so you do have to be a little you do have to be yeah. um like uh i guess uh you know kind of off the charts a little bit you i think i think sitting in this room i mean there's a few people here but I think I'm talking to you, so we're just at a different mindset than most people, but like even like, you know, I have a fiance now, okay, and, and she says she knew me when I was big, like she knew of me. Right. And she's like, I never would have dated you like that. <laughs> and I met her when I was like 280. Yeah. So it's not that much different. Right. But they visually see something different when your clothes are off and you're on stage tanned and posing. She's like, I said, why not? She's like, because you're just too big. Mm. And I thought it was okay. Like I, now I see it and I was like, damn, what it, you know, I was kind of a mess, you know? <laughs> a freak. So, yeah. I mean. Well, I think a lot of people say that sometimes, um, we've had athletes on the show before, um, that are in tremendous shape. Someone like Brooke Wells, um, someone like Brooke Entz, uh, some of these CrossFit girls. Um, and, and people have said this a lot about fitness girls and bodybuilding girls, and, and you don't hear it as much about men, but women will say it about men as well. Women will be like, oh, I would never want to be with someone who's 250 or 260. And then you're like, that's what the rock weighs. <laughs> and then they're like, oh. Yeah, but he's 6'5". Well, yeah, I know. But then they'll be like, oh, well, damn, you know. And I think it depends on the way someone's built. It depends on, uh, you know, how it looks. But if you're, if somebody's like pumped up, if the rock's pumped up, 
and he's in the middle of a training session, he's going to look a lot more intimidating. Veins are going to be popping out. It's going to look way different than if you just see a, a picture of him in GQ magazine or something, right? Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of the thing too, is a lot of people meet me in person. And even when I was big, you know, I didn't look like I looked in posing trunks on a bodybuilding stage. It right. was more, I wasn't covered with veins and you know, off season you put on some water and you put on like a little layer of body fat over you, even though I wasn't holding a ton of fat. Uh, it's not as scary, right? Um, my mom questioned it. You know, she was always like, man, you know, I, is this, you know, is this really what you want to look like? And truthfully, I can, I can tell you, Mark, I said, you know, my goal was to be a certain weight when I started. I said, I want to be 240 and I would cut it off at 240. But what I realized as I got closer to, you know, competing, the competing side pushed me to be bigger because I got closer and closer to winning the best title in the world. And why I figured why stop now, if I can become the best in the world, then it's like, okay, I, I reached a pinnacle and not that many guys were able to say that. So why waste the ride that I've been having? And I'm going to go all the way to the, to the top. And that's, that's kind of how I, uh, it kind of was by circumstance, to be honest, because if you go back to my first DVD, which Early on was my social media outlets. I released DVDs every year, training videos. I actually said in a cut above, which you can find on YouTube, uh, I said, you know, I'll, I never plan on being Mr. Olympia. It wasn't my, it wasn't an ultimate goal. And until I stood next to Ronnie Coleman in 2001 in a very controversial second is when I first realized that, holy shit, I can win this thing. And that's when, uh, when I really pursued the Mr. Olympia title. And, uh, you know, the rest from there, I mean, the fucking mindset of like getting up every day and pushing yourself till I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. And I mean, there was times where I almost passed out training because I couldn't breathe. And in Vegas, the heat, I remember doing walking lunges outside, you know, training for Olympia in August and I'm lunging with, you know, 225 on my back in the parking lot and it's 120 degrees on the, on the pavement. And I remember just like, okay, no one else is doing this. So I'm going to do it. And that's, was my mindset. I mean, you, you can read the stories. I used to train in the middle of the night cause no one else was doing it. Mm. Uh, I've heard Mike Tyson talk about that with his road work You know, he'd wake up like three 30 and go run. Yeah. Four. And, and you know, that was my, that was how I like mind fucked everybody else. You know, I would make sure that I posted up something, you know, Hey, I'm training at this time. So people are like, man, is that the secret? Is that what Jay <laughs> has to do? Is that what we have to do? And I did it almost to kind of like play mind games with the other guys and say, Hey, you're not doing the work that I'm doing. And it made me feel it helped my ego too. Um, you know, I think, uh, you mentioned something that I I think, have you ever written a book before? I have. Yeah. Um, I got a title for your book because I think that this is the most important piece of the puzzle that I've heard. So, so far is not the four time Mr. Olympia, but the six times second actually would be a great title for a book because yeah. that's I only think that's, one, in, I think only that's, one in history to f- six runner-ups yeah I, well i think that's a big deal though because that's a decade it's a decade mm-hmm. of being up there on the stage and i think that's a big part of it and to persevere and uh your four victories they weren't in a row either right no i, I had one break in between the two that's you know, a big deal too, like and losing it, and coming back and, you know, coming back and winning yeah, again. That's a huge deal. I skipped 2002. I mean, I was building a house in Vegas, so I actually sat out, which is the year Ronnie came in smaller after I had him on the ropes in 2001. If you ask me if it was a, close to any regret of my career, that would be sitting out that contest, but I just mentally couldn't prepare because of the move to Vegas, building the new house and 
kind of restructuring my life, moving from California, I just felt it wasn't suitable to go into Olympia preparation. So for me, you know, I do kind of regret that a little bit. Leveroni fell into my second place slot, but I would have came in there and probably, you know, beat up Ronnie pretty heavy. That's the year Gunter Schlier camp beat him at the yeah. show of strength. And so it showed that Ronnie had some vulnerability, but the problem is, is everyone pissed Ronnie off that year and he came back in 03 and just fucking demolished <laughs> everybody else, you know, including myself. He started training like a maniac. Well, no, he just came in bigger. You yeah. know, he said, I'm not going to shrink down anymore. I'm just going to come in like I want to come in, not what the judges want. And that's how I went in every show. I was bigger, smaller. I didn't give a shit. I just went in there. And like I told you, it was a personal thing for me. It wasn't like, okay, who's going to decide for me to be the best at this? I'm going to show up at the Olympia I want. So I, I mean, we talk about weights. I mean, I've competed there 275, 255, 260, 265, and you, know, you can ask me what the best weight is. I say around 260, but uh, my my whole goal was to be, okay, well, how do I want to show up this year? You mentioned nutrition being a, a huge component of it. Um, I mean, the, the nutrition side of it is the most consistent, constant thing that there is because you got to eat, you know, five to six times a day. In your case, I think you said seven meals every day. Mm -hmm. What was that like? I mean, that must have been... That must have been terrible. Like that sucked, yeah. For for the most part, I mean, you're kind of stuffing in calories that you don't even want, especially in the off season, right? I force fed a lot of meals. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm hungry for breakfast, and I'm hungry like before I train or whatever. Like force fed to the point of like gagging. Kind I of mean, thing, it took or? me an hour to eat meals. I mean, mm -hmm. you're eating twelve to sixteen ounces of meat, and you know, hundred to hundred fifty grams of carbs every meal, and you're doing that seven times, and you do it day in day out. Like even when you're dieting for a competition, you're still eating that much food to maintain a massive body. Now that must've took a period of time to build up to, of right? Of course it did. And, but yeah. I started with a six meal. I mean, when I met Chris Aceto at, at 18, you know, he made me a six meal a day diet. I followed it to the, to the T. So meaning I ate the same foods at the same time every day. And I posted on my refrigerator and that's the meal plan that I followed. And eventually the food went up and up and up as the body weight continued to climb. Obviously, the demand for calories changes as your body composition changes. You build more muscle mass. So I was able to start, you know, increase until, you know, we reached past that 240. We went to 260, 280, 300 pounds. Uh, I was able to eat more and more food just to have that maintenance in the round muscle bellies. And the carbohydrates is a huge source of, you know, the fluid in the muscle. You know, you talked about earlier, we were having discussion at lunch about the cushion of the body when you train. And that allowed me to train with heavier weights too, is the carbohydrates. I feel like if it makes any sense, like when you're on like a keto diet and it's just protein, I don't feel like there's a lot of glycogen, even though it will convert. Uh, you don't have that cushion. You don't have that, that, um, that retention of the muscle where when you right. go through weights, almost like you're <clears throat> fucking pumping rocks instead of <clears throat> pumping like balloons. Right. Right. So like I the carbohydrates. Sam Efferding had a, had a good analogy on the podcast where he said, you know, you can, uh, you know, you can use an elevator to get to the Empire, to get to the top of the Empire State Building, or you can use the stairs. And, yeah. and a keto diet in terms of maximum performance, especially when it comes to like in the gym and trying to maximize muscle growth, would probably fall into that slot this, where this, it's a good analogy. It, it might, it might be decent at uh, burning fat. And for me, what I always try to share with everybody is I utilize it because uh, it gives me the best self-control. If you give me carbohydrates, I'm going to probably end up eating ice cream and everything else mm -hmm. and eat shitty carbohydrates. So for me... The keto diet allows me to manage my calories better, which is all it really broke down to for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I never tried the keto thing. It wasn't my thing. 
I was you didn't reduce carbs either. even going into a show no, or anything? Not like so much. I mean, of course, you know, at certain times I had to be restrictive because I needed to lean down, but it seemed like towards the end, which is the times I remember the most because, you know, those were the exciting points of the diet. You know, it was never the, the 16 weeks out or the 12 weeks that were exciting because I'm like, okay, let's get this shit over with. Right. No one wants to diet. There's no fun portion of getting ready for a bodybuilding show. Uh, so I was like, okay, the last four weeks, it was like, okay, I'm carving consistently in order to continue to, to improve my body and get fullness back so I can compete and, and beat these guys. Because I used to out-muscle people. I wasn't a balanced like, guy. I wasn't like small waist and aesthetics. Like that's all, that was bullshit to my, to my winnings. You know, my winnings was going up there and hitting most musculars and just blasting people off the stage. That's what I looked forward to. Like I wanted to out-muscle the hell out of everybody. Uh, and that's what I did. And that's how my victories came. And I was known as a, a so-called mass monster. Uh, and that's what, you know, what I thought bodybuilding was. I mean, I don't, I don't see any crazy mass monsters. I mean, Phil, he's got a lot of mass for his frame, but like a big Rami is considered like a mass monster now, or, or, uh, you know, Roly Winkler or whatever these guys right. where they just blast people with muscle. Um, I wasn't into those aesthetic, slow posing routines. I thought that was just not something I was interested in. I went out there and I just, you know, got the crowd, stuck the tongue out and did what I did, you know, to get the crowd riled up. That's entertainment for me because bodybuilding is so boring, you know? It, yeah, it can be. I mean, it is. I mean, it's not even can. It's, it is. Like, yeah. You know, when you're not knocking somebody out or, or you know, hitting home runs right. or, or beating someone with touchdowns, I mean... To me, it's like you got to have some excitement. So the guys with muscle, the things that's going to uh, get the crowd kind of fired up, and the, the small. That's what Vince McMahon guys. was trying to do. Of course, that and was before your time, probably right. No, it was just when I was coming in. Yeah, <clears throat> 1990. I started training in 91. But I mean, I looked at those guys. Gary Stridham was in that, and a lot of guys, you know, transpired over that. I think Ferrigno was actually in it for a minute. Those guys were paid a lot of money, and they tried to do it. But I think it was a little corny too. Like, yeah, with the dress ups <clears throat> and shit. I mean, but the characters were kind of cool. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, you, you're going to gonna have to try to add an entertainment value to anything that you have, whether it's bodybuilding or powerlifting, how the hell else are you going to get people to watch it? Mm -hmm. Nowadays, I think, uh, social media has helped in some ways. Uh, you have like men's physique and I think they got rid of women's bodybuilding, right? Yeah, they did. It's gone. And, uh, they have, uh, some other avenues for the chicks to get involved in. But when you first started, they didn't have a lot of that stuff have any of it right no it was strictly men's and women's bodybuilding but you know touch on the social media thing and that's why the social media people without accolades of like titles or achievements like they have more followers because <laughs> they do shit that's exciting i mean a bodybuilder what's a bodybuilder do besides eat chicken breasts and go to the gym and pump up chest there's no real like personalities and i, I was victim of that too i mean i didn't like cameras in my face i was very serious about what i did i had to learn to come out of my shell some and now on social media, I have to be more of a normal person, but I'm allowed <laughs> right. to do that because I'm not, I'm not driven towards that one goal. I mean, I, I thrive in business, but some of the stuff is not business it related is. to. You know, what's fascinating though, is somebody that has the drive and the determination to be a four-time Mr. Olympia. So it's not like you have to uh, jump over a car or anything of like course. that. You know what I mean? It's, it's still intriguing enough. And that's why so many people want to have you do seminars and have you, uh, at these speaking engagements all the time. Yeah. I think they look at the mindset. I mean, I think that's really what, what drives you to be able to do what you do at the highest level. I mean, it intrigues people because. How many people can say they were the best in the world at what they did? It's still like, when I say it to you, I don't look at myself like that. Like, I don't <laughs> right. look at like, Hey, I accomplished like being the best bodybuilder in the world four times. Like I have to constantly be reminded of it 
because I'm still in mindset. Like I'm the kid in Massachusetts with a dream and wanting to move to California and riding a cop as a motorcycle as a cop, you know, like watching chips and all those things. So that's why I that, tell people that uh, dream harder than you work. Like you have to really work hard, right? You have to put in a lot of work. Everybody already knows that, but you got to hold on to your dream because you got to, you got to have a, like a belief in yourself. Mm -hmm. You got to not let go of that, not let anything deter you from that. Yeah. And I mean, we have all obstacles. I mean, there's a lot of things that are thrown at you and people can make excuses or they can say, screw it and move forward. And I think, you know, we talk about the injuries. I mean, we've all had it. Uh, some people quit because of that, or they just stop and then they fall out of it. But listen, man, if it's your passion, you're going to continue to do it. Right. And I tell everyone, don't do something because you look at it as like, oh, it's just optional. Right. You got to do what's your passion. Otherwise you're never going to succeed at it. You're never going to stay with it. You're never going to commit to it. And you're never going to give your full ab ab ability towards that goal. And I think we all have some sort of passion for whatever it is. You know, if you like to paint or if you like, you know, if you, you like cars, like work on cars or, you know, I, I it just happened to me, me, I like to weight lift and, you know, I, I didn't sit there and say, oh, I want to be Mr. Olympia. Like it was a goal later. But I, I wanted to have a great body. You know, I, I didn't say, oh, I'm going to go win this or win that because I didn't even know what the hell it was half of this stuff. <laughs> right. But, you know, how much, you know, it's like you, you set a goal. I want to bench press this or I want to squat this. I don't, you know, whatever your best lift is. You're, you are a bench presser, right? Yeah, predominantly, yeah. Uh, so, I bench pressed uh, in powerlifting. Uh, in a bench shirt, I bench 854. And without a bench shirt, I bench 578. Okay, so, but what about the squat? Like squat, I did 1,080, and without any, uh, without a squat suit, I did 700. What was your, so. what, what do you consider, though, your best lift? Uh, I think everybody knows me for bench press. Okay, so yeah. obviously you, you put your focus towards that probably more than you did the squats or the deadlift, yeah. right? Because right. why? Because you were great at it, right? Yeah, it's a strength. Yeah, so your mindset is like, okay, this is what I'm good at. I'm going to shoot for this, and that's that's going to be your goal. And the confidence that I had on that exercise was just different than everything else. I always kind of struggled with the deadlift, and so it's hard to get that out of your mind, even as much as you're trying to coach yourself out of it, even as much as you're trying to give yourself uh, positive self-talk. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have that same reinforcement of like blasting it up every time. I could be sick. I could be injured. I could have just about anything going on. And, and I could always figure out a way to bench press. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like LeBron James. He was a great football player too, Yeah, but he chose basketball instead because that was probably what he felt he was better at. Right. But he had the option. A lot of these football players or basketball players. They were great at either one. I mean, look at these guys. I mean, Jordan played baseball, all these yeah. people, but they just choose what they think they'll, they'll dominate. And they probably had a passion for the other things too, but you just, you chase whatever your passion or whatever you believe that your your best of your abilities can go after and that's bodybuilding was it for me you have to have longevity in order mm -hmm. to be good at anything you know yes. it took you how long did it take you to get on an olympia stage i was 25 at my first so i mean from 18 to 25 yeah it takes almost 10 years to to get anywhere right and then it took you about another 10 to to win yeah it took uh, 33 was my first win right. i mean i was great at 20 don't get me wrong i was professional i turned professional at 23 and uh you know with a couple of years but i was second to last at that first olympia so yeah. does it really count right and even and even for you um you seem to be a, you seem to be a quick study you know like you're like most people won't have that same that same amount of uh success that fast probably mm -hmm. um you mentioned you know along with uh along with the food 
Um, I think you told me that you had, you know, 800 to a thousand grams of carbs, uh, sometimes even like going into a show. Yeah. That's Crazy, insane. Right. That's insane. And now, now do you think that that was something that just worked well for you? Or, uh, do you think that, uh, that people are similar and they can eat their way into something like that or train their way into something like that? I see guys smaller than me that can do the same at this point. You know, that really comes down to body what their body does to simulate those carbs or how hard they train, their, what their output is. Mm. I'm a firm believer in like letting your body do the work and feed it what it needs. So if you want to train and you want to do a ton of cardio, um, you want to have volume sets, you know, that's, you're going to have to feed the body to adapt to that. If you want to train less and do heavier weights, lower repetitions, longer rest between sets, you know, maybe that you don't need as much calories. It really depends on your output. And I was very active. I would do a lot of things. You know, I was running a lot of business and I was traveling a lot, even, you know, when I was training at, at the highest level. So I was never a guy that sit on the couch and play video games or sit and watch movies all day. I was always moving around. So maybe that had something to do with it. And, you know, the carbohydrate, like I said, I, I was a lean guy from day one and I was husky. If you, mentioned you, if you, you mentioned if you weren't doing anything, you were sleeping. Yeah, I was sleeping or prepping, you know. Did that, you uh, recognize that sleep was a big part of oh, it? Oh, it was huge, you know. I slept Did you get naps and stuff? Six hours. I tried to sleep in one, like one stint, but yeah, I took naps. I mean, of course, eating that much carbs, you can imagine you, you crash, right? So after training, I always tend to sleep. And I remember I was paid to do it, so it was a little easier. But uh, I, I did have no issue sleeping whatsoever. You know, a lot of people have these things where they, they can't sleep or they have to take sleep aids. That wasn't me. I can fall asleep anywhere. When you become a professional bodybuilder before you work your way to the top, is it enough money to where you don't need a lot of uh, other outside money? Or you're mentioning having other businesses, you must have needed some other resources. You know, what's funny for me is like, we talk about the upbringing and being in the family business. I was taught the value of a dollar early on. So for me, it wasn't about like, okay, I, I knew I needed, like I was taught, okay, make enough money to survive, right? Pay your bills and and, you know, save money, but, you know, don't be a pig. Right. So what I did is, you know, I learned along the way, like, Hey, I want to, my whole goal wasn't to win the Olympia. It was actually to be financially stable. So I knew I, I was conservative and I learned, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to find ways that I can be a great business guy. And I created the branding. I created the, you know, the merchandise and, you know, along the way I, I listened to the right people. I had business advisors and, people that taught me, okay, I invested in real estate. Like in the beginning, that was kind of my first venture. That's why I moved to Las Vegas after living in California. I actually bought a house six months after moving to Orange County and I made a bunch of money on that. And then of course the nine 11 tragedy happened mm -hmm. and I, I went to Vegas on just a whim to visit a friend and I saw the real estate market. Everything was discounted. Everyone was scared to spend money because they thought that the world was coming to an end. And uh, I scooped up a bunch of stuff. And that's really when I started falling and making really like, serious money in bodybuilding. I won six shows in 2003. And with every win, I bought a house. So I had like six or seven homes in 2003. There's and money. I, <clears throat> there's actual money that you win from the show. Uh, but then you probably also win money from endorsements. And, and along with the endorsements, you probably get more endorsement, uh, right? Of, of like course. That. You know, and there's a lot of revenue. <clears throat> once you're good at it right and people always right. ask me how do i get sponsored i said you got to win something you got to be good right you got to be something that someone isn't 
And nowadays, you know, with the internet, there's just a lot of, you know, Instagram, there's a lot of people that can showcase a lot of great talents or it's perception, right? Maybe they're not as good. Um, Everyone lives the most glamorous life on Instagram, right? (laughs) That's right. But I lived that life. You know, I was actually, you know, the cars I drove and the houses I lived in and the places I went and traveled and whatever, that was all real shit. So, but that wasn't only from bodybuilding. It was investments that I did and getting into different ventures and that's building the relationships and being a stand-up person that I was able to, you know, put myself in touch with the right people and have the bi- right business advisors. But I, I truly believe it goes back again to how I was, I was brought up and I was taught values and, you know, trying, you know, showing people respect. But, you know, in the beginning it was like, I never imagined I'd make money like I did. And then of course you're winning, you know, a hundred thousand at a time or 150,000 at a time, you're winning cars and everything else. And then the endorsements just start rolling in one after another. I mean, it becomes a really solid life. I mean, I was one of the fortunate ones to be able to do it at the highest level for a long time, still doing it nowadays. And, you know, I carry what I didn't expect a whole brand now, you know, the, the Jay Cutler, Cutler brand is really big. Um, I'm still probably worldwide because bodybuilding is popular all over the world. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool to be able to see that in different cultures and, you know, to understand when you go over there. And I didn't travel a lot when I was actually competing because I was so booked in the United States every weekend to weekend at stores and, uh, guest appearances, charity events. I didn't actually, there wasn't expos at that point. Like the expos have become more apparent the last five years, but I was able to, uh, you know, create, you know, that revenue from that, but also I was able to touch base with many more people. And once I started traveling overseas, it was like, wow, this is like a culture shock that bodybuilding is that big over there. You know, I would show up at places. I remember being in India and 3000 people are in the common to come. I'm like, why are these people here? They said, they're here to see you. And I was like, damn, like you don't expect that shit. You know, you travel all the way. Who would have thought, you know, growing up where I grew up, 6,000 people in my town, I'd be somewhere in India and being like a household name there. And and, uh, being in front of a million fans, like literally. And, uh, it's just, it's kind of mind blowing, you know, and I still do it. And being who I am now, it's like, you know, I still show up at these events. I mean, my line was four hours in Houston this past oh week to see me. Can you imagine waiting four hours to meet anyone in line? <laughs> it's pretty wild. I mean, I don't know if I would do that. And yeah, I tell well, these people yeah. that. So I try to give people a lot yeah. of time and I try well, to, you, you got to think stories. about it this way too. Like perspective is always key in my opinion. And, um, it sounds like you, you weren't a fan of what your dad made you do when you were young. Cause he didn't understand it maybe uh, as much as you do now, but a lot of people don't even have that. They don't even have like your dad made you do that. Cause he fucking cared, you know? And a lot of, a lot of people just don't even have, they don't have a mom. They don't have a dad. They have alcoholic parents or they've been abused and they're waiting in line to see Jay Cutler because you pulled them through something. You mean a lot to that person and that they don't give a fuck about how long it takes. Dude. And you know, and people are in tears and shit, you know, it's wild, isn't it? And you know, it changes your life. Like you realize your worth after you become who I become and you say, okay, what's next for me, right? There's always that question when you retire, like, fuck, what am I going to do, you know? (laughs) How am I going to keep myself occupied? And what I've learned is, like, I need to give back to what created this opportunity for me because there's there's one person out there, listen, there's there's 13 Mr. Olympias, but there's going to be 13 more, probably more in my lifetime, right? Right. So it's like, cause I don't think it's going to be like after this run, Phil has this run, I can't see a guy winning time and time and time. I, I say that, but I mean, I didn't expect <laughs> Phil to do it either, but like, man, like it's just, you change people's lives. Like that's not, 
when you start off training, like you think, okay, I want to win titles and, you know, and then eventually it turns endorsements and you talk, you talk about the prize money and shit like that. But like, you can't imagine like when you're 18 and you're looking at these guys in the magazine and you're thinking, I'm not thinking other than, Hey, I want to be that guy. I don't start thinking, Oh, I want to be this person. Cause I want to be a role model to like millions and millions of people yeah you're not thinking i want to be like sylvester stallone was to you you're yeah, not thinking that like way you don't think that because you're just a nobody right right i mean let's be real and then all of a sudden like the tables are turned here you are after achieving all the success and like these kids are coming and being like you're my inspiration you're my idol you're this you're that and then you got 50 and they old, really mean it you got 50 year old men that said i followed you for 20 years you know they said i i remember the magazine where you were sitting there, your first picture in the magazine. And I'm like, Holy shit, this guy's right. Cause I know when my first picture was and, uh, you know, then you helped me, you saved my life or I lost a hundred. I heard that all weekend. I, I lost a hundred pounds, 150 pounds. You saved my life. Like this and that. And they're bringing their wives or their girlfriends who could give a shit who like about fitness. <laughs> yeah. They're always they, kind of sitting there frowny faced. <laughs> well, no, they were like, you dude, you're like, this guy is, you're all he talks about. A lot of times. Yeah. The guy himself can't even say anything. Yeah. And I said, and I just say, I said, how excited was he to come here? And the wife or the girlfriend's like, oh my God, like he's talked about it for four months <laughs> since he saw it advertised. I mean, that, that just paid, that just made yeah. everything for me. And it makes the 14 hour, whatever flight that you had to get on and the two hour drive and the X, Y, and Z that you had to figure yeah, out how the fuck to get there. It's just crazy, man. And like the opportunities just keep pouring at me. And like, you realize like your worth is a lot more than you ever expected. Like, you know, you start thinking, you know, I mean, when you turn over 40, you're like, shit, your life's over. When mm -hmm. you were like 25 thinking about shit, what am I going to yeah. be at 40? Like you look at 40 year olds and you think, oh, that's so old. But once you get there, you're like, this ain't so bad, you know? Right. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, you, you could live a, an entire, another half of your life. That's just as busy, mm -hmm. just as occupied. I mean, you, you don't, you don't really know. Um, what is, how did you avoid getting pulled in the wrong direction? Because you mentioned some of these sponsors coming in. Um, there's a lot of people that are full of shit, you know, especially like in the, everyone's full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, everybody's full of shit, including you, Smokey. Everybody's full of shit. So how did you avoid, um, and, and it's probably happened to you. You probably have been pulled in the wrong direction. You probably do have a bad story or two because it's bound to happen. All of us get so many people, uh, pulling on you after these Olympia victories, I would imagine. Yeah. Listen, the deals come out, you got to weigh them all out. There's been some successes. There's been failures, you know, listen, I've done, you know, I mean, you can talk about real estate deals where I made a ton of money and some other monies I lost, I lost certain deals, but, uh, you have to kind of weigh it all out. That's all. I mean, fortunately for me, like, you know, people may or not, may not believe this, but a lot of the stuff I get involved with endorsing, especially it was stuff that I used or I mm -hmm. believed in, um, it goes way back. I uh, mean, people are always like, you're full of shit. No. And, and you know what? I, I've been under contract with some of the best supplement companies. I was a muscle tech for eight years and people can talk shit about that company, but I used all the products and they were awesome. Like they treated me unbelievably. And, you know, I was with ISS, which is the OYA company. I learned a lot being with them three years. I was with Joe Weider who without Joe Weider, I wouldn't be who I am. I endorsed his products and, you know, we used to get truckloads. I mean, my house was like fucking GNC, you know? And then, uh, you know, I finished up lastly with BPI sports who were my partner for Cutler nutrition. And now I own a hundred percent of my brand. So I'm solely on my own now, which just happened in the last month. And it's given me a great opportunity now to, uh, you know, really kind of rebrand and re 
reformulate and I'm going to launch a bunch of new products. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm pursuing what I believe is like what I want to do. And I've had a lot of, you know, deals that on the table didn't look so good. And then they kind of revisited and they fell on my lap again. And I had, you know, success with that. But everything is an opportunity, whether it's a winner or a loser. I mean, you build relationships. Some things don't work out. Listen, not everyone's going to be successful at what they do. Um, you know, you can look at me and saying, well, if I lost the Olympia, I finished second to last at the first one. Why the hell did I go back to do it again? I mean, you got to go through learning curves and, and, you know, failures are sometimes setting you up for the biggest advantages in life. And that goes back to the second place finishes at the Mr. Olympia. I mean, shit, if I didn't have those, I might not have worked so hard to get the first. Yeah. Um, we mentioned, uh, some of the training, but you mentioned to me at lunch that you, uh, worked out four times a day. Um, I would imagine that's kind of like coming down the stretch is like, is that for a month? Is that for eight weeks? How long did you work? That out? was 16, like 16 weeks training for a competition. Holy I mean, shit. that's, that's a long, that's 16 a long time. weeks, Andrew training four times a day. Dude, no way. <laughs> two, two, two cardio sessions, two weight sessions. What a, what a fucking boring life, huh? It, it worked out. Well, it worked out because <laughs> I was winning most of those things. I mean, very rarely did I lose. I mean, Do you have to be boring to be a bodybuilder in some way. You know what, man? Like, I think. I think you've got to have a very simple mindset. Mm. You know, you can't be social. You can't be out doing a lot of other activities. Uh, some people argue this. Some people will be listening to this or watching this live and think, you know, I go out and do, you know, what do things with my family and stuff. Yeah. I mean, listen, it depends on your mindset. My mindset is, you know, as Mr. Olympia was like, when I trained for competitions, man, there was no world. I shut everything out. So you put on the blinders and you have tunnel vision on what that ultimate goal is. And I didn't, I didn't want to go back after 16 and like 16 weeks and win or lose the title and say, I should have done or could have done this. That's why I did it the way I did for that 16. But once the 16 weeks was over, man, I lived my life. I mean, listen, man, I partied, I went out, I did, you know, I had, you know, after I was married, I had girlfriends and, you know, I hung out with friends. I became more social. Uh, I traveled all around the world and. You know, I've been some of the best places. I live in Vegas, man. I mean, was it on. ever hard to get back to it uh, when you did that? You know, when you kind of the, let, you the know. only time it was hard is when I, you know, I got divorced in 2011 and I tore my bicep that year and, you know, my dog died and, you know, whatever. It just, you know, it was the shit year. Yeah, it was terrible. But, you know, and then I planned to come back in 12, but I had a bicep surgery. So it kind of sidelined me. It took a year for recovery for that. And then I came back in 13 and I, I kind of got my ass handed to me. I was, you know, sixth, which was the worst placing in over 12 years. <clears throat> and I realized, holy shit, I thought I was at that level again, but I, I really wasn't fully back because I just, I was traveling a lot. I was, you know, I had a big tour bus. We were running with the supplement brand and I was traveling all around on a tour bus. And, you know, I thought I was getting enough meals and I wasn't as dedicated. And that was probably, you know, the biggest eye opener for me. And listen, I partied in between that loss in 11 and you know after getting divorced and all that stuff it was like you know you go through that phase right and then i had to like get back down to business and i just wasn't the same person man i didn't have you know my ex-wife was a huge backbone for me and uh you know when she wasn't there day to day to day it, it kind of affected me you know so when you you know i it's think like, you mentioned at lunch you were with her for like 20 years yeah 23 years man yeah. so it was like you had that structure and you know i really didn't know sometimes like I thought I was doing the right thing, but it just, it's a comfortability thing. Like when you're training for a show, everything has to be in sequence. 
And I think now looking back, I just was missing some of those, those moving parts. That's all. How do you deal with comments? You know, like, uh, you're retired from, uh, getting on the stage and, uh, I think you're, uh, what'd you say? You're two thirty five right now. Something like that. Yeah. Obviously you're, you're, you don't look, uh, nearly as big as, as you used to. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with, uh, does that ever bother you? Does it ever bother you? Somebody's like, oh, you look smaller. You look nothing like you used to look or. Nah, man, I got four, just... I got four Sandows on a, on some <laughs> pedestals at home and a lot of metals to prove it you right. know so for me even if you get out of shape someone's like oh you look fat doesn't yeah, any, of it, any of it bug you i or? haven't been out of fat i haven't been out of shape much so for me it's like just you know smaller yes i'm trying to downsize and that's my goal i mean remember it's it's me on me that's not i'm not trying to impress anyone i still want to be fit i still i want to look athletic like in the athletic i'm gonna tell you right now it ain't gonna happen a lot <laughs> athletic is a lot of opinions for a lot of people yeah. right but you look like SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> <laughs> That's the physique. Yeah. One of the one of the questions that came in was actually like, "What's your diet looking like these days?" That you are trying to slim down a little bit or size down, I should say. I mean, I have you know, I own meal service, uh, MegaFit meals, so I do that a lot of that. But it's still the chicken and rice. Mm -hmm. uh, I still eat the same breakfast, the egg whites and the oatmeal for breakfast, a couple of eggs. Uh, today was I was a little steak for lunch, which I don't usually eat a lot of steak to be honest. I've mm -hmm. kind of cut red meat out of my diet. Uh, most of the time, but I eat a lot less. I eat half as much as I used to. So mm. I eat about six ounces of meat and probably like uh, 40 grams of carbs per meal. That probably and, feels a lot better, right? Well, I'm I, listen, I mm. didn't feel too bad at, at 300 pounds, to be honest. I mean, I was pretty agile and I trained and I mean, obviously visually it's much different and the clothing fits a lot different, you know, and the styles have changed since then. I used to wear big baggy clothes, five X shirts and shit, you know, it's mm. just like, that's much more comfortable and I'm not as hot all the time. <laughs> that's for sure. You know, when you're big and heavy, your like body that, temperatures. Through yeah. You're, you're red as shit. Everyone thinks you have high blood pressure, you know, <laughs> and I never had high blood pressure, but I sure looked like I did, you know, that's for sure. Was there, uh, during your, uh, competitive years, were there things that you had to avoid? Like somebody might be, Hey, let's go, uh, skiing or let's well, go. Well, the funny thing is, that. is I, I signed an agreement with muscle tech, you know, back in Oh three. And I was on a contract until, uh, 2012. And, uh, I had like no extreme sports in that contract. So I had ATVs I bought in 2005 and I, I was like, I'd grew up on the farm riding ATVs. That's what I love to do. Those suckers sat in my garage. Shit, I've, I've probably ridden them probably three hours since I bought them. And I take them up and down the street every once in a while. I put them on my social media, but that's about the extent that I go. I, I should start riding more. But, you know, I just, a lot of things I couldn't do. Downhill skiing, I used to do a lot. I, I used to water ski. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to jump out of airplanes at this point or anything <laughs> like that, man. I'm trying to do anything to salvage my life. You know what I mean? I worked my ass off to get where I am at. So, you know, I used to ride motorcycles all the time, but. For me, like, it's just so damn dangerous now, but like the <laughs> texting and shit, like I'm afraid to ride a motorcycle. Like I rode when no yeah. one was texting and everyone, if you pull up to anyone next to a, a stoplight, everyone's texting, right? <laughs> it's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Smokey's on a motorcycle. He might get. Oh yeah. Out. Watch out. What for do you ride? A, a sport bike or. A... Okay. That's all right. That's good. Yeah. I had, I had Harleys. I had, you know, I had GSXRs. I just sold a Ducati, actually. I had a Ducati, but it was more just a showpiece in my garage. Someone actually needed the money, so I actually bought it from them, and I thought I was actually going to ride it. I took it to the gym once, and it was like summertime in Vegas, and the shit was so hot, bro. It's like, <laughs> fuck, I can't, I can't ride this thing on daily, you know? You have to wear a helmet in Vegas, you know? Yeah. I, I wanted to ride with no helmet on, but 
I was like kamikaze like that. I didn't give a shit. You know, what was the uh, coolest thing that ever happened to you in bodybuilding, whether it be something that you won or something that happened, you know, due to circumstances of you, uh, bodybuilding competing. Ah, man, like, you know, I told, I told you guys at lunch, that story, like Stallone, you know, he was my idol. And, you know, to meet him, I met him and Van Damme, John Claude Van Damme, you know, watching Bloodsport all those years. And those two guys were like the reason I got in and I was able to meet those guys. And they both said the same exact thing to me. They told me they were fans. <laughs> so for me, that's like mind blown, like crazy. Yeah. Cause like, those are your two idols. And, you know, I met Arnold and I mean, he was like, obviously won the Arnold classic a bunch of times and, you know, talking to him is pretty wild considering I was watching him and commando and all that shit. And, uh, you know, I visited some of the craziest places. I mean, I've been in Peru and, you know, to visit these orphanages with kids and be able to bring them gifts and all that. I mean, it's bodybuilding's taken me all around the world and I never would have been able to probably do that nor wanted to, if it wasn't for bodybuilding, because I surely, when I retire, I'm not going to travel much because I've, I've flown millions of airplane miles. <laughs> I mean, I, by the beginning of the, from January this year until March, I already have flown a hundred thousand miles. Holy shit. So I'm still, I'm still traveling a tremendous amount and I'm so sick of fucking planes. You can imagine like, yeah. you know what I mean? And I'm just sick of rude people and, <laughs> oh, yeah. and just, yeah, the whole thing. just the airports and the delays. And like, that's what ruins it for me. Like if you said, Jay, if you could go anywhere in the world, if I could just like, like zoom myself there and get there and like light speed i would go anywhere on the planet but you're talking about teleportation yeah (laughs) the travel time it's like it's unreal man like i can't take the flights anymore it just kills me because if you think about it that's the worst waste of your life you could ever do is sitting (laughs) on an airplane you know it's a killer and even just to get on the plane and just the whole act, yeah. the whole thing is a big pain. And it's ass. like, you can only watch so many movies over and over. I mean, I, I like to watch Narcos. Like that's one of my favorite right. shows and I'm watching billions right now. That's like what the show I like to watch. So those are two. You got to get into Cobra Kai. What, they, what <laughs> Dude, this? What's Cobra what's, Kai? It's I've heard so of it. It's on YouTube. Oh yeah. We, we haven't it's, really talked about it much on the podcast. It's those are, fucking it, fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's weird how Danny LaRusso is kind of like a, a Danny little bitch though, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, he might be, might be turning into Well, he heel. was. In the, <laughs> yeah. In he the, always was. Yeah, yeah. Karate Kid, he was kind of like. A little pansy, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. But in this one, you're kind of almost rooting it. Pansy. Like, that's you're rooting for like the bad guy it seems like well i was rooting for the bad guys even in the original oh dude then this one's right up your alley this one's it's it's dope you it's really it good yeah it actually is really good like the first you know it, it has uh definitely like a cheese ball factor to it but it actually in my opinion actually turns really good yeah well i mean it follows <laughs> the the bad guy uh, whose name i can't even think of right now uh for like the first 15 minutes of the first episode johnny yeah, yeah johnny yeah. the kid with the blonde hair played him in the original <laughs> yeah. yeah it's the same guy no, yep. it isn't. Is it, it really? Is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Same oh, guy. I'm it's, gonna, it, let me pull up the. Uh, it's all the same people. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. Really? You got to see it. So <laughs> how how far along is this series? So uh, just episode. There's just one 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 year, right? Yeah. So it's it's just it's done through season one, but they got green lighted for season two. Woo-hoo! Okay. So it's free on YouTube. YouTube Red. It's on YouTube Red. Yeah. Okay. So you have to like buy YouTube. There, there's Red. a there's a slight yeah. paywall, but you know, but what's it? Twelve bucks, fifteen bucks. I think it's like you ten ten bucks a month. Yeah, you don't get any commercials and all that shit. You get. Right, YouTube's so, trying to do a bunch of shit. I saw them advertising YouTube yeah. TV and stuff. I don't know what's going so on. So you're but. trying to, you're, so you're plugging this thing then. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that means that's it's right. really this is a paid. Good. This is a paid advertisement right yeah. here. Okay. Yeah. 250K they gave so us. He's eating fried bologna. So, so times are, times have been tough on Johnny. 
so this is like him at 40? Oh, he's, right. yeah. He's yeah. Up, that's him for real? Yeah. yeah that's him. Look, Damn. look what he's watching. Dude, you're missing out on a lot of good stuff. <laughs> Dude, I'm gonna have to. And go, you I, thought, and you thought you had nothing left to watch on planes. Shit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go home and watch this shit tonight. It's so good. You know? It is really good. And if you hate it, you know, you can blame Andrew. Yeah, that's fine. Andrew, what kind of questions you got building up over there, buddy? <laughs> I got one that I just stumbled upon. I wanted to get your guys' opinion on it. Uh, Miss America eliminates swimsuit competition in the judging, and they say that there won't. Let's see, what is it? Uh, they will no longer judge contestants on their physical appearance. Oh my! Oh my God! Yeah. I, so I don't know. What, what are they going to be judged on? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> so mm. I, I have no idea. You know yeah. what? I I. So you're asking my opinion on this? <laughs> yeah. Because listen, I, mean, I love a chick in a swimsuit, <laughs> but not the skinny girls. I'm not into <laughs> skinny chicks. Like I like Latinas. You like chicks that lift, yeah, or too. it doesn't really matter. No, I don't like a chick. I don't like a chick that has to eat every two hours. You know, it's. Too much effort. Too much effort. Their, their uh, the watch goes off the same time as yeah, yours, yeah. yours does. Well, and right, both now have to now eat with the same time. with this Apple Watch shit, you know, it's like <laughs> right, you know, too much. But no, I, I was never into fitness, like fitness bodies. I mean, they look good, but it wasn't something that I wanted to marry. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. Maybe someone is just health conscious, but not training their face off. Right. I think you know. Listen, I think a, a bikini girl, you know, especially with the cuts the bikinis have nowadays. I mean. Like, it's good to look at those girls in bikinis. What about the CrossFit chicks? They got kind of the thicker legs and I like, some I li- powerlifting girls. I like a little thick chick, you know? I like them um, thick bodies. A little bit round, round and big. Yeah, I mean, not to be, like, too, too, uh, oh, too we in can detail, be but, Yeah, you know, we can be gross. It's... I like a little thickness. I'm not, like, a skinny type right. girl thing. I like a little meat there, which has kind of changed. I mean, in the beginning, I liked skinnier girls. Yeah, your opinions change over the years, right? Your your uh, yeah, your taste changes. Your taste, your taste buds. Yeah. Taste yeah. buds. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey now. What, what were the uh, the purses like when you were competing versus now? Like, is there like such a it uh, changed a lot? Yeah, not really. Uh, the Miss Olympia. I mean, I won uh, two hundred at my best, and it's four hundred. So yes, that's oh. changed. But Shit. to be honest, like. The smaller shows still pay the same money, like 10, 15 grand each mm. show. So if you win a few, I mean, you pick up some money, but you know, it's, it's pretty costly to, to train for these things. I mean, your food bill alone, I mean, I can tell you, I probably spent on some years a hundred grand, but that includes eating out and stuff too, just mm. on food. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to ha- have a revenue stream in order to do it at the level that we do it at, um, where it's it's attainable is bodybuilding uh in your opinion in jeopardy in some way like if uh uh if i don't even know how it works anymore but like when you become a pro who's who's paying it doesn't do the the pro card doesn't guarantee a salary i mean it's not a union base did it used to no and it was all just it was mainly joe weeder yeah he was like the he was like He gifted everyone. You know what I mean? Like he and uh, the guy at Gold's Gym, Ed Connors. Ed Connors. He brought me. He he's the one that brought me back to after I when I went out there. I mentioned at nineteen, I won that that he had a house that uh, John Cena has lived at. I stayed there. Yeah, Jay Cutler. I mean, the list of people. He introduced me to Cena because Cena worked the front desk at Gold's then, (laughs) and he was like, yeah. (laughs) But Cena was like great, man. He was awesome when I met him because we were from Massachusetts, and he had an awesome. He was natural guy, and he was like crazy, like the physique on him. Fucking big. Yeah, like big I mean, arms. He still is big, but yeah. And he used to ride his motorcycle around and stuff. So it was really cool, like that he made it like to the big time. And his story is like very similar to yours. Yeah, 
Although he, I think he won five Mr. Olympias, yeah. not four, <laughs> and he lost I think, five uh, times. I think he got on a, a little higher platform than me, but it's just funny how these guys like are so. Dude, you could take so him out. so quiet, and then like it's just like that personality comes out, and he's like a a showman, you know? What yeah. I mean? And yeah, I got John... to see, I got to see him. Like he came to Vegas like a few years ago, and I actually went to the, I w- went backstage and caught up to him we sat on the bus and had a beer and stuff it was pretty yeah. cool to see him you know he's a fucking stud he's yeah. a workhorse yeah he's a goddamn he's a goddamn workhorse um how close were you to rich piana you know what we were friends yeah like, we, were, we were friends i knew rich before he was like really famous mm-hmm. he was doing a lot of commercials and uh you know it's unfortunate for him because he had such a huge like presence in in bodybuilding and he was a really positive influence even though his his like his visually he was like kind of scary to a lot of people yeah um with all the tats and like the whole five percent thing uh but he like really put himself at another level than everyone else and what he spoke about was just raw and real and you know it was just unfortunate when he passed away because like we spent a lot of time at expos i would see him around and i knew a lot of people that were friendly with him and you know he was always polite to me and like we'd always converse and we saw each other we spent time we trained together and ate together um, but we weren't best friends, but he was one of the people that definitely for me, um, was a, was kind of a, he was kind of a person of interest of the fitness community. You mm-hmm. know, people really respected him and what, what he brought to the table. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, Craig Titus earlier. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that watch this show probably don't have any clue on who that is. Did you know Craig Titus? I knew him well. And then he, did he kill his girlfriend or something? I can't even remember. He what killed happened. the assistant and burned her in the car, if right. you remember. And then uh, did he kill himself or no, something? No, he's in jail. Oh, he's in jail. The ex, the wife got out, you know, ex-wife now, but she right. went to jail too. They both were conspired supposedly That's to kill. a wild story. And they burned it in the body. There was a movie about it and all yeah. that. But uh, he was in Vegas. He lived there. I used to see him at the gym. I helped him train for a couple of shows actually. Mm. Um probably some of the better looks he ever uh, produced on the stage. And he was a hustler, man. He always like, um, he always was grinding and, you know, he did very well for, he wasn't a huge, huge success on the stage, but off stage, he made a lot of money doing mm. appearances and marketing. Yeah, he was so. really popular. He yeah. Was and really he was famous. a good looking dude and he was, had a lot of magazine covers, but his just lifestyle was so crazy and wild, like chicks and <laughs> drugs and partying right. and. Like he was kind of like the bad boy of bodybuilding, but it kind of caught up to him, I think, you know, and I know he wasn't in any normal state of mind mm. when that happened. Let's put it right, that way. Right. Um, who are some of your favorite bodybuilders? I guess let's start out with uh, kind of old school. Who are some of your favorites from the past? And then also who are some of your favorites that are more current? Mm, I mean, Samir Banute was awesome. I mean, obviously like, like Chris Dickerson, I mentioned Bob Paris, uh, Lee Haney, Dorian Yates, uh, um, you know, Arnold, of course, is up there. He was, Sergio Oliva was way ahead of his time. Yeah. I mean, Robbie Robinson, those guys were like, back in that day were just crazy. Lou Ferrigno was just a- Robbie Robinson is still jacked. Dude, he's <laughs> 72 or something and he's still guest posing and shit. It's crazy. And then when he talks, like he very rarely talks, but if he does talk, he sounds like fucking Darth Vader. Yeah. That's kind of scary. Like, but he's shit. still ripped. I don't know he's if you saw, ripped. he guest posed at the Emerald Cup this yeah. year at 72, and he's still like crazy for that age. Uh, but, Lee, you know, Lee Haney, Dorian Yates, those were kind of like my idols. Uh, I liked Lee Labrada. 
I think Rich Gaspari was a guy that I kind of looked at too. Lee Haney had the small waist. Yeah, he had a crazy. I mean, he was crazy at that. Is that that's now? That's now, bro. That's Robbie Robinson. Yeah, that's now. him at seventy. Isn't that crazy? Dude. I mean, look at how look at the the condition still, and he's at Gold's Gym all the time, every day. But you'd never know that's what's underneath his body. No, he wears really baggy clothes. Yeah, he's got tons of like sweatpants. He on trains him. with Mike O'Hearn a lot. Yeah. And he doesn't say anything. Yeah, he doesn't. I've never spoken to Robbie Robinson in my life. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. Who's the he guy just... that wears the mask all the time at Gold's? That's probably him. Is it? Yeah, because he has like he has like a sweat he has like a sweatshirt on, and then he's got something kind of over his face, and he just kind of like looks like a ninja. Yeah, that's him. That's Robbie Robinson. Holy shit! He's yeah, just, so he's back in like Arnold's era, and uh, you know he was a big big figurehead back then. I mean that was part of the the golden era they call it. Yeah. Dude, there's so many great bodybuilders. I mean, Mike Matarazzo was one of my favorites. He passed away. Paul DeMeo was like <clears throat> with Quadzilla. He was like my guy. You mentioned uh, that you uh you had a pretty big squat when you were a teenager. Mm-hmm. What did you what's your best squat? Seven hundred. Holy shit. Yeah, seven hundred at nineteen. That's fucking crazy. Were you stu- like really I was, I was stupid then. Were you really <laughs> training for strength often, like trying just to go as it was heavy a, as you I could? was an ego lifter then. So I would go in the gym and like every week I'd try to break records because that was like the cool thing to do in Gold's Gym Worcester. But <laughs> for me it was like uh you know, I didn't think like, okay, I'm gonna someday be Mr. Olympia. But then when I won the T Nationals at nineteen, I realized that I can't fuck around anymore. I mm. just gotta stop doing all this heavy shit, you know. Did you, did you, uh, lift angry back then? Like so a lot of kids, like they go to the gym and they're kind of like got a chip on their shoulder. They, uh, I didn't lift angry because that wasn't my demeanor. I never get mad, but I think, uh, I think aggressively I was going at it. Meaning, uh, like I told, I told, uh, Smokey that I used to squat till my, my nose bled. <laughs> and I thought that was cool. Damn. That's the fucked up thing, you know? And <laughs> You know, I said, listen, if you're, cool. you're not, <laughs> it's very cool. Well, you think it's in this fucking gym is probably cool <laughs> as hell, but it's not very impressive when you're yeah, it's not at smart. lifetime fitness now, you know? Yeah. yeah the right. mirrors aren't covered with, <laughs> with guys spitting snots all over them, you know? Right. But if you, you know, the thing is I used to get hemorrhoids when I squatted a lot. Holy shit. Did you ever have hemorrhoids? Oh yeah. Squatting? Oh yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. I have, I had have it lanced. I had, a. Uh, I had a situation where I can't even remember wh- what I was doing, probably a squat or a deadlift. And, uh, and I just like stopped what I was doing and I was like, I'm out. And like, I think everybody thought I was kidding. And I was like, I think I blew my butthole out. Really? And I just left and like, I had to take a couple days off and everything was fine after that. Can I ask you a question? There was, was a, there was something on the internet where a guy's intestines supposedly came out. Was that a real thing? I don't know if anybody knows. During a squat? What, yeah, I don't know if anybody knows if that was real or not, but that sounds... Did you ever see it? cool thing about Google. You got to be <laughs> able to uh, flex your... What is that called? Uh, taint? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> but taint, I had to get... Whatever you know, that pee muscle I is. I just remember that's like... That was the shittiest part of my career was like, you know, have to get my shit lanced, you know? They had to mm. cut them because it's hard to get rid of them, right? And you, you still used a lot of barbell exercises, uh... I throughout did. your power, throughout your bodybuilding career, right? Yeah, I was a full meathead, to be honest. Yeah. And you did uh, a lot of uh, traditional barbell squats. You weren't, like, necessarily using a machine. And I still or... I still barbell squat. I, yeah. I only go up to, like, 185 or 200 now, which is nothing, right? I right. do it 12 times. But I just do it to stimulate. My legs are still actually pretty good size and conditioned 
for not really training him that much. Like it's like it's telling you guys, like I didn't train him for three years when I turned before I turned pro because mm. my legs were just too damn big. I needed to build my upper body. How many sets and reps were you doing when you were in your prime? What did that look oh, like? Shit, I, between quads and hamstrings, forty sets. I would wow. do twenty to twenty-five just for quads. I do everything, you know. Back squats, front squats, leg presses, hack squats, lunges, leg extensions. These are real sets, or is it including warm ups? No, this is real sets. Yeah, warm ups was only the first set for two two rep two exercise two uh two sets, and then it was like full on after that. Stretch or anything, or warm up beforehand? No, I just went right into it. But you know, for me, I just love to train. Like that's that's what separated me from like most guys. Is I just. I just look forward every day to go in the gym and smash it up, you know? So like I would have the best gyms in the world in Vegas. I don't know how many times you've been to Vegas. Like when the gold's gyms existed, there was this mm. gold's gym, Flamingo Sand Hill. It was, it was awesome. Like it was like, like Disneyland for bodybuilders, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was a fucking huge gym and they got, they had a lot of old school stuff there and they had like the, they had the power racks and shit there. So like a lot of power lifters were there and it was just a good atmosphere. Even though I was never really into power lifting, like it wasn't, what I started off doing, I loved it because I loved being around that vibe. Yeah, the like, energy. Those guys, like, you know, powerlifters, like, to me, like, my perception is like the guys don't make a lot of money. It's like a weekend thing. They get together, they, right. they, they get like a bunch of guys just, you know, they chalk up and they put their suits on or whatever, or wrap themselves up, but they take like two hours between each set, <laughs> like, why yeah. each one of them goes and sees right. what their max are. So they're in the gym like hours. Like, that's, that's a passion to yeah. what you do. So it was a cool vibe to always be around that because I was just, you know, around them training and to walk by that area and they watched me like kill it with repetitions. And even though like I wasn't doing what they did, they respected it because I was the best at what I did. Right. And they watched me train and shake their head and say, man, I can't believe, you know, you're doing that for that many repetitions. Cause I did train heavy, not like Coleman, but I was able to sling a lot of weight. I mean, I still pressed, you know, I remember the flex photo shoot, like, you know, I'd go in there and I'd do five plates and I'd sit on the floor with it, you know, right. while he took the pictures and come back up. And he's like, no one does this shit. I mean, they had 200 pound dumbbells that I would press. I pressed at 23. He's like, there's only one other guy that's done this. Actually, Flex Wheeler was the only one that did it for mm -hmm. him. But I thought like, that was really fucking stupid then because right, right. like I had just came off a show and I'm like pressing, that's not something. something. Yeah. I mean, I think about it now and it's like my whole career could have been over, you know, pec tears mm -hmm. are like career yeah. ending for bodybuilders a lot of times so sometimes the ego did get in the way a little bit but you know fortunately i was able to step away and not be injured that knocked me out except what, for that what did the uh, what the intensity look like on these sets you know how like was it like all out was it to failure no, i never did failure but what i did is i did you know i focused on 10 to 12 repetitions but what I like to do is my rest time was very short. So I only rested 45 to 60 seconds. So basically if I was training with one partner, the partner would go and I would go and if the, I would always train with people that didn't have to change the weight. So mm. they had to be the same strength. And if they did train with me, it was a privilege to train with me. I was kind of a dick like that where people would be like, Hey, I want to be a training partner. I said, well, I'm not changing weights. I'm not spotting you. Because the problem is, is when I was training, like I would have, I would sweat like crazy. I mean, I was 300 pounds and mm -hmm. it was, you know, I like training when it was hot. So I would sweat and I would drip, drip all over people if I was spotting them, especially doing chest and that all kind right. of shit. So I didn't want to touch people and I didn't want them touching me. So I never had spotters. That's why I never trained a failure. But the rest time was, that was super crucial for me. So 45 to 60 seconds between each set, which was, I was, was still winded, 
But remember, my goal wasn't weight challenges. It was always for the pump. And I felt that I think intensity thrives on how quick you move through and how much intensity, like if your mind stays continuous, like with set after set after set, that's what makes you better. And I think that's what was important was the rest time in between. Whereas a powerlifter might take five minutes. I don't know what you would take between each set. Yeah. But your whole goal was to push the weight. Right. My goal was to get pumped up and create as much muscle uh, fullness as I could and then get out of the gym and feed it, right? It's a much safer route in some sense because you're you're getting fatigued throughout the sets. And uh, even though you're not necessarily going to failure, um, things are starting to get tough after you did three sets or four sets, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my ex-wife, actually. She was one of the better training partners I had. How About how many sets would you do on a given exercise? Four or five? I would do uh, three to four working sets. And, and and would they normally be with like kind of the same weight or light, medium, heavy type of thing? Or I would always start off with, I would pyramid up each, each uh, set. But remember, as I got stronger... I mean, when I did dumbbell work or, you know, with barbells, I only, I only trained with barbells so, so much. I mean, I stopped bench pressing because I realized how dangerous it was. Uh, I, the dumbbells only went so high. So I, I mean, shit, I got to a point where I could do one eighties, you know, 12, 15 times mm. pretty easily. Even for shoulder presses, I used to shoulder press one sixties for 12 repetitions. Shit. That's a lot, that's a lot of weight. And so it just depend on what body part you worked on, how many sets you did for like biceps, triceps. Oh yeah. Cause like bias and tries, like I still stand with the same weights that I did when I was competing. I mean, arms, you don't have to train that heavy. It's all about repetitions and volume. I mean, if you go back to the Arnold days and you watch those guys train, I mean, they would spend three hours in the gym hmm. and they didn't know the nutrition. That's why they didn't get bigger, probably overtrain themselves, but they loved doing it. That's why they were there. Right. And they were, you know, Arnold was winning $500 at the Mr. Olympia. I don't know if people know that. I mean, Arnold won one of those seven by himself. There was no one in the competition because two guys got disqualified. <laughs> so like those titles to me, like you're not in the competition like you have nowadays where the guys are like competing with the top 20 in the world or whatever. Right. Like it's a whole nother animal, but we're also getting paid by endorsement deals that Arnold and them didn't have. They were laying bricks and you know, drinking milk and shit while they were getting ready for the show. <laughs> so it was very difficult for them to make a living at it and the prize money was shit. But they still, that just proves like that was the passion of the golden era of bodybuilding is like they didn't care about the money. They did it because they loved to train. I mean, really, if you wonder what Arnold's end goal was, I mean, he says he wanted to be a, a movie guy, but, you know, definitely wasn't like, oh, I want to be a 10-time Mr. Olympia because I want to win five grand over 10 years <laughs> right. you know what i'm saying yeah. like so and i and truthfully i never thought about the money to be honest like the money wasn't like when i got that check the two weeks after winning the show i was like damn this is a great extra to win in the title mm -hmm. and i never like thought after the show like oh i want to win for me it was the same shit i love to train like that was the fun part and you know the olympia stage was just a place where i could put my talent and just say okay i'm gonna put it on the line and like I told you, I didn't give a shit whether I placed first, sixth, whatever. Of course, I got into it once I started winning. You don't want to go backwards, but I just was like, okay, let me just go showcase what I so I can go back to training and doing what I do and fulfilling the sponsors and living the best life I could. How long do these workouts take? These are like two-hour workouts, man. I just I spent a lot of time in the gym. I, I would say that I somewhat overtrained. 
I mean, I loved being in the gym. Like, what can right. I tell you? It's It wasn't like, oh, well, I had to or whatever. It was like, I had a choice to be there either 15 minutes or three hours. And <laughs> I kind of went in between. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true with a lot of us. Um, but but you got to get yourself out of the gym to recover too, right? You got to get yourself some food and, and so on, right? I mean, yeah, you have to, you have to do all those things, but look at, look at your life here. Look at your setup here. You live in a gym, right? I mean, this is what you do, right? Mm -hmm. Cause you'll yeah, always, yeah. you're going to die like a hardcore bodybuilder guy, <laughs> that's like, right. you know, power lift or whatever. Yeah. Someone that's around it all the time. Like, that's all I cared about. Like that was being in the gym for that, that amount of day. training four times. Like that blows people's minds, but shit, it's like a great life for me at that point. Yeah, it just seemed like you have a uh, you know a focus that's just on on a whole nother level uh, than what uh, whole nother level. Thank you. <laughs> uh, than uh, you know what what most people what most people would be able to handle, and I think that's I think that's again back to you know why people want to wait four hours, why people want to see you at seminars, why you know we really appreciate having you here today, especially because you don't normally do podcasts. Um, a lot of that is, is because of the dedication. I think a lot of people scratch their head and like, fuck man, how, how was he able to, how was he able to do that? You know? Yeah. It's funny you say that. Cause I just thought about that as we're talking about this. I think it didn't interest me before to talk about it. Like I do now, because at some point you have to realize, okay, I'm not getting back on stage and what's the next era of my life. And I've told you, I've come to a realization after hearing all the stories that people that come to me at these expos and tell me like what changed their lives. And if I had influence on that. So I realized the importance of me actually getting out there and speaking more and being an introvert, like someone that's like, oh, you know, it's not really my thing to sit there and t talk about what I've succeeded at and what other people didn't. I think it's now time for me to voice what I have to say and, and really kind of get people on the same page as what drove me and what continues to drive me and what it's like in the mindset of, of how to become who I became. Uh, because there's next, there's next person, you know, there's a lot of next people that are going to get to that level and they're going to achieve something, not necessarily on a Miss Olympia stage, but later in life and other things. And I think that's kind of where I'm going to kind of leave it at with, um, you know, why I continue to do what I do is because, you know, I'm trying to just showcase a talent that was started as a hobby and it was a passion, but, it, it became a bigger and better thing. What's, uh, we mentioned some of the cool things that have happened. What's the worst thing that have happened? Um, I know that you, uh, kind of said you don't have any regrets, but, um, you know, along with winning four, uh, Mr. Olympia titles and all that time in the gym, what, what's the, what, what's the worst thing that got sacrificed? Do you think? Mm, my f relationships with my family, I think, uh, you know, my family's in Massachusetts and I'm on the West coast. It's hard for me to get home. And, you know, my parents are getting older every day and, you know, we can talk about the things that matter to us most in life. And really, as you get older, and I think, you know, you realize this too, as family comes first, right? Absolutely. And I, I talked about like, they were so supportive, like later, you know, in the beginning, they didn't understand it, but you know, my brothers and sisters, they all came to my shows. Like when I won all That's my Arnold's, awesome. That's really like, cool they took a big van down and they'd come watch me compete. And it was kind of like the hillbillies coming to the Arnold because they're like country people. My, my brothers hunt and they didn't know what the fuck fish. was going on. Well, people like this, your brothers, like they don't, you know what I mean? They come with their concrete, they like think they're all going to be clothes tan. and shit. Right. Yeah. You know, they, they don't realize like, they think, Oh, Jay Cutler lives this like lifestyle and you know, his family, he must come from this kind of background, but fuck, they're like, they're just like country people, you know? Right. 
So they were like there cheering and they were in my cheering section. My dad and my mom came to all my Olympias. My mom was right there for all. She was there at the T Nationals, like under a tree painting me, like in between the prejudging the finals. How cool. So like being able to spend time with them is, is crucial to me. And seeing my brothers and, you know, their kids are all grown up now. They all had children. I don't have any children because I had enough nieces and nephews. I was an uncle when I was nine years old. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's just really cool to be able to now to spend time with them and be able to eat my mom's cookies and like the stuff <laughs> that I couldn't eat before and like the normal dinners and, yeah. you know, have a drink with my brothers or whatever. I where... can't come home for Thanksgiving. I can't come home for Christmas. Yeah. Right. You yeah. can't, you couldn't do it, right? No, I could. I mean, I did, but it was like, I was on my like Tupperware shit, Tupperware, you know? Yeah. And now it's like, I'm eating everything and I'm spending time and like, it means a lot more to me. Right. And that's kind of transition of life. Right. My mindset isn't like on the, on the go button all the time. And that's, I think that's the best way to explain. Like that was what my life was like. It was, it was like go full fucking throttle every day. And now it's like, it's kind of more laid back. I mean, we talked to, you said, at lunch, you mentioned something about your mindset can't be that way. It's like, I'm yeah. so laid back, like with everything. I don't get angry. I don't really, I get, of course, frustrated and sometimes stressed out, but not to the point where it, it it's, if it's not life altering, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like too many people take things like way too personal <laughs> and they think, oh my goodness, this is going to happen. And like, I'm like, fuck that. Like, it's, <laughs> it's okay. Like, it's not life altering. Yeah. That's like when I got the email. I don't. I don't know what I did with my email. I think I hit like a weird button. You canceled the and shit. I, and I can't. I canceled today's show somehow. <laughs> and I just. I just looked at it for a second. I was like, "That's odd." I'll get back to that later. He must be pissed. And yeah. then so I. He texts me and he's like, "Are we still on?" And I said, "Yeah, everything's fine." And he's like, "Well, you canceled the calendar yeah. date." And I was like, "I thought Dude. you did that." <laughs> just pushing the blame. I said, "This motherfucker." Yeah, this, you know, because I didn't get to come last time. I was up here because this big party in Vegas. Threw his phone out yeah. the window. Like, Dude, I'm already here. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so I was looking forward to it, you know, coming up for the day and knocking this thing out. And I mean, I, I can't wait to come up for one of your events because I hear such great things about them. I mean, that's the thing with the networks, like, you know, people, it's your passion, bro. Like, yeah, that's why I respect it. And that's why I wanted to be part of this thing and coming and seeing, I mean, I saw your staff at the Arnold. I came to your like event shortly, which was a fucking zoo, <laughs> uh, but it was so cool, man. Yeah, wasn't that crazy? And I, you know, so and sweaty. I, and I realized, yeah, but I said, you know what? I want to be part of this guy's, like, this guy's, like, whole thing. You know, it's it's just like a, a movement, you know? Right. And I, I think, um, you know, as like I said, as I get older, like, my time is like, okay, I want to be on someone else's, like, part of someone else's success, too. And I think that's why, like, I was excited to come up here and, and kind of, you know, talk to you guys and hang out. And I see your staff, like, I, I saw everyone at the airport when I showed up there. And, uh, I was been, you know, we've been trying to make this happen for a long time. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a goal of ours, you know, when you don't get, I mean, luckily for you, you were a very high level bodybuilder. So you experienced some things, um, but definitely not in powerlifting and just in, in life in general, I think, uh, we're sometimes uh, like underappreciated 
you know, and, and that's all people want. People just want to feel substantial. They want to feel good. So when we have people come here, um, second that you walk through the door, my staff is going to flock to you. We're going to say, you need water, you need food. Like we'll probably almost be like on you too much and bother you too much. But it's, uh, it's all part of just trying to make people feel good. Like we really admire, um, you know, when people have the drive and the focus and determination to put in all those hours in the gym, like it deserves a reward. And that's kind of why I asked you the question about Joe Weider. It's like, man, without people like that around, it's like, what the fuck's going to happen to some of these, what's going to happen to bodybuilding? Well, that's the thing. Like you, you just nailed it. And I don't know, you know, you obviously know something that a lot of people don't, but when Joe Weider passed away, man, like that's where bodybuilding kind of started to fade. Because when you have someone that's passionate to help the guys to achieve like their best. And I remember Joe telling me, it's like, I'll never put a bad picture of you in a magazine. And the problem with social media, you asked me like the good and bad things about the internet, pictures leak on the internet that shouldn't be there, you know? Right. And, and that's the thing with the magazines. They made us all to be like superstars and they only had the best pictures. Like they went through the slides and said, okay, this one's good. This one's bad. And he showcased the best, you know, he showed everyone's strong points and, you know, made you look the best and touched up and whatever, but the internet doesn't allow us to do that or social media. So it's like this, and I'll make the example is like, you have this person that you like, you hear about and they become kind of like an, an idol or whatever. And then you get on, you listen to their media and they start speaking. You're like, wow, wait a minute. I'm not sure if I like this guy. Like <laughs> I liked it visually, right? Because they start talking or on the other end, right. maybe you don't like them so much, but then once they start talking, you like them. Like, I really like this guy. I like his, his passion and whatever he's, you know, what he's out to say. I think that's really what, you know, where it can be a good and bad thing. It's like a double-edged sword, you know? So, uh, given the voice, like, that's why every time I put content out, like I'm real, like it's me, but at the same time, it's like, I don't give a shit if you like me or you don't, because I just know like my journey is for me and I'm not really trying to do it for anyone else. I'm not going to copy anyone. I kind of set like the standard to what my career was and I'm going to continue to do that. And either you have the vision that I have and you, you follow it or you don't, there's always the next guy to go to. So everyone's going to have their idols or people they follow or admire or people they respect or don't respect. And, and that's, that's every person's, uh, you know, choice, what they, what they decide to, uh, to really pursue. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate, I mean, you didn't have to give us your old posing trunks that you never washed. Um, but I, I did appreciate you steal those. Did you steal those out of my bag? Uh, I think Smokey did with yeah. his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> he was sniffing around in there like a dog. Yeah. Uh, you got any more questions? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so w what's your breakfast like right now? 20 egg whites, two whole eggs, two slices of Ezekiel bread, two packets of oatmeal. You ever try to eat coffee. 20 egg whites? I used to eat 30. Oh my God. So oh, with, you cut way back. So, <laughs> so with eating 30, is there any crazy poop stories with eating all this food? All that oatmeal too. <laughs> Damn. We were talking about this earlier. I think, uh, you know, I had, um, I was training for, fuck, what show was it? I think it was the 06 Olympia. No, 09. Was it 09? No, I mean, it, it might've been 06 and. I was eating a ton of like, I was eating this Ezekiel cereal. It's like a flourless, like cereal bread. It's like a big thing you buy at Whole Foods or Trader Joe's. A lot of fiber. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I think it got irritated my intestines and shit. So I like, 
I ended up like shitting a lot, you know? And I mean, as a bodybuilder, like you, you, you take a lot of dumps, you know, you know? <laughs> I'm sure you live on the shitter, you know? <laughs> so, so I'm in the gym training back that day and I'm like, damn, like my fucking stomach's like killing me. And I'm like, I gotta go home and I gotta shit. You know, it was like two in the afternoon. So I already eaten like three times. And I think I already had like three meals of the Ezekiel. So I remember like, I was on the phone with my, with my wife at the time. And I'm like, damn, my stomach's, I have to leave the gym. Like, and I was pulling out. I remember exactly where it was. I was at the cross street of Lake Mead in Buffalo. I was in my silver Mercedes. Right. And I got to the light and I'm like, oh my God, I can't hold this any longer. <laughs> and literally I just, I shit myself. <laughs> and I, I swear to God, the fucking, it raised me in the seat. Like this. <laughs> <laughs> because I shit like a fucking like a like a donkey back then, you know what I mean? I was like three hundred pounds, and I'm like, when I got home, I'm like, I, I was screaming oh my to my God. wife. I'm like, I was afraid to get up because I didn't want it to leak. You know, dude, I was driving like my dream Mercedes. Yeah, you had to you know? like roll out of it. Yeah, and I'm like, fuck, this feels so terrible, you know. And I, you know, I'm not smoky. You shit yourself every fucking week or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. But but it's like. <laughs> I was like, damn, like, this is fucked up. Like, I'm I'm a grown man, and I'm shitting myself after the gym, you know? You know, it's funny, because one time I was walking the dogs, too, and the same thing, I was going through <laughs> the same issue, and I was walking the dogs, and for some reason, they had an outhouse, because they were doing construction in my neighborhood. Thank God they had the outhouse, because I had a shit so bad. And I ran, I remember I had a run in, and I had the dogs on leashes. I had big air, one was 100 pounds. So the dogs were on the leashes, and I was in shitting on the thing and the dogs were outside the outhouse like the door <laughs> can you imagine how shut? good that would be to see that <laughs> oh my god that's jake cutler and you're like oh so i was i was sitting <laughs> taking a dump in the outhouse and the dogs i had them on the leash holding them it was crazy but man that's yeah. like uh raised you up out of your seat you know what's funny <laughs> when i did, used to do seminars like people would ask me the craziest shit and i remember one kid we had must have had shoot over a hundred people, like 150 people at this seminar. And it's like, all right, anyone have any questions? First question, the guy says, how many times do you take a shit each day? And I'm like, and there's parents there and shit, yeah. you know what I mean? We're, we're on, it's your podcast. So this is just normal shit. But I was so fucking embarrassed. Like, I mean, what am I supposed to say? Right. I mean, like anywhere between 15 and 40, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's, you know, what drives me crazy too is Ed Connors. Okay. The guy who used to house, yeah. he tells all these young kids. Now Jay used more toilet paper than anyone I ever had. That's awesome. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, what the fuck? Why would you? And that's not true. He's got to spend all, all his money on the toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like, hey, that's one of the downsides of bodybuilding was like, <laughs> you have to get used to living on the toilet, you know? Well, if you're going to eat, then you're going to poop, right? It's I know, but mathematics. I, you know, it's <clears throat> honestly, that's the most time I look at Instagram is when I'm taking a dump, you know? So that's when you get your scroll on. Yeah. I mean, Anything it, else? Just after that story, dude, I was a fan. You're, you're a hero now. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, hero <laughs> status. How'd you clean that? I mean, how'd you clean that yeah. up? It must have been a mess. I threw the pants out. I remember they were they were gray pants. Oh, so they oh. were just toast. Oh, they were soaking you wet. You poop on the just... seat? Oh, yeah. The seats yeah. had to be cleaned and everything. I mean, oh. it ran through. Yeah. You would have loved it. Smokey, you would have loved it, bro. It might have looked like uh, that scene in Pulp Fiction. I probably could have <laughs> sold those pants <laughs> on true. eBay. And Smokey would have bought them. These, you know what? It's Some crazy. freak in Germany. No, you know what? <laughs> I used to... 
guys used to send me bags to sell them sweaty shirts. Oh, that's great. Mm. That was a send them back. Yeah. Yeah. Like they used to want, people used to ask me for pictures of my feet, like crazy shit. That was us. That was super training. You talk about those fucked up stories, man. Like it's just like the letters I used to get, you know? Some of the stuff that came in, like uh, when you were, you know, new to it, when you're new to like being famous in the fitness industry, were you sometimes like, what? Like somebody wanted to pay you like, I don't know, 50 grand to come just show up and pose or something or. Yeah. You get a lot of offers. Were you, you know? just like, well, what the hell? Like that, they just want to see me like flex, like, and they want to give me this money. As a young kid, you're just, you're kind of like taken back by that whole thing. Like, like you didn't realize what it was and you meet people and like, you, yeah. like, you hear these offers and it's just like, man, like, is this what I'm getting into? You know, if I ever told my parents that shit. <laughs> Like they probably think, oh, my mom doesn't listen to, she doesn't even know how to turn the computer on really. So she can't watch this shit, but <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, it's just too much, man. <laughs> it's too, too <laughs> it's even too much to go into. It's, I don't it's, know. I, like I said, I don't know how it is nowadays. Cause I'm a 44 year old guy. I'm not getting letters like, like, Hey, will you pose for me or this and that right. anymore? You know, maybe when you're 60, you will, cause they're <laughs> in your weird <laughs> shit, right? They're waiting until you get a little older. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I don't. I don't want it to end. So, uh, anabolic use uh, during mm-hmm. the quote unquote golden era versus now. Because I know you kind of talked about it a little bit before we went on air. I hate to say what I don't know what these guys did. I mean, listen, we don't live with each other, so it's not like oh, this guy takes this and that. I mean, definitely back in the days of Schwarzenegger and these guys, like they didn't have the anabolics that are available. I think you know we went through a phase of like you know there was. L- there was only limited usage. And then we fell into the phase of like growth hormones, insulin, like in exotic stuff that came from Europe. Like that was like earlier, a little before my era and during my era. And then it fell into now everyone's making shit in their basement. Mm -hmm. And it's just crazy tons more oil and guys are taking 10 times the shit that they need to. And that's why the bodies just look so horrendous now is because they're just loaded with oil and they can't get the condition and the stuff is weaker. All the compounds yeah. are coming from it's China. Hard to find good shit. Like, you know what? I wouldn't mm-hmm. even know if someone said to me, hey, I want to buy this. And I wouldn't even know like the local guy to get it from or anything. Like back then you knew in the gym, like this is a guy that has it. Or, I mean, listen, I, I would just go to straight to a doctor now at, at this point. That's the only thing I can really advise to people. Like someone asked me yesterday, like, Hey, I want to get this or that. And I'm like, listen, go to your doctor. If the doctor can't prescribe it, like stay away from it. Cause don't go to like the guy that can get it around, you know, that, you know, from like the gym, cause it's probably not going to be legit. Right. And that's a dangerous thing. And that's what the internet kind of, I mean, people buy stuff off like websites and stuff, yeah. which is just mind blowing to Who me. Who knows what their intent is. Maybe their intent, like maybe they just want it to be super powerful and you'd have like these crazy results. So you come back and buy more and maybe, maybe it's not even testosterone. Maybe it's something different. So you don't really know, you don't really know what you're getting. I remember years ago, uh, one of the best powerlifting meets I ever had, I had these ampules of, uh, sustenon and it was the best shit that I ever had, but I could never fucking find it ever again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, nowadays you're right. Like things are just made by people who are mixing compounds. Yeah. The blends, the blends were seemed to be the best back then, like the ampules. And now it's like 10 CC bottles. Those things were like gold. I remember I'd mess them up every once in a while because you like break them. (laughs) You're like, fuck, I, (laughs) I screwed it all up. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like with that stuff, um, you know, I, dude, it's just, it's so dangerous now. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that, you know, everyone's kind of thinks that there's a secret drug. And I mentioned those, uh, like all peptides, the, the peptides stuff, yeah. which is like that stuff I'm not even aware of. Cause I know it for a fact, I've seen it and it's like, Oh, not for human use. Mm-hmm. So what does that tell you? It's like, the first thing people talk about when they have an injury. They're like, dump a bunch of that in there. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't think that's a great, I, I don't, it doesn't sound But you know, like I went idea. through the era of like that, like growth hormone and the Lyle Azato thing. And he used like the human, whatever it was, it was from dead cadavers or something like the, to real, like synthetic growth hormone. And like, we went through all that phase of like, it's dangerous to take. And then you hear the athletes taking it and recovery processes, and then they weren't testing for it. Now they can test for it. So I think, you know, back in Arnold's era, yeah, no growth hormones and insulin, but you know, nowadays it's like every guy and every gym is taking growth hormone and insulin, which is just crazy to me. Like you start messing with insulin, that kind of stuff. It's, it's very, very dangerous if you don't know what you're doing but they read about it and this guy did it or that guy did it. I mean, you know how many times I've heard, oh, well, this guy used to sell you stuff. Like I hear it all the time still like, oh, you get your stuff from this guy or that. And I'm like, listen, I haven't bought any juice from anyone, you know? <laughs> right. Like it's crazy. The story. Well, people are probably, yeah, probably they're probably trying to use your name, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's kind of crazy to me, but it's definitely advanced. And I think people are more aware of it, but don't believe what you read on the internet. That's for sure. Nice. Um, so if, if a kid comes up, and a kid, I mean, maybe someone in their 20s, they're getting pretty jacked, and they look at you, and they're like, hey, I'm thinking about getting on. What's your advice for someone like that? I always say, you know, consult with a physician. Uh, once you make that change, you know, it's something that maybe you can't turn back on. Because once your levels get, get you know, something from outside, like, source, you're, you're never going to be the same. I mean, you may have to be on therapy for the end of time. But it's all preference. I mean, what whatever their personal goal is. But most people, it's like for the weekend warrior, the guy that's like, I want to get in shape for summer. I never suggest like, hey, get on a cycle and do this or that. But mm-hmm. these guys aren't going to listen to me. They're going to look and say, oh, well, Jay, you know, you got to where you were taking this or taking that. But it really doesn't, that doesn't have to do with them. Like mm-hmm. I did what I did in order to pursue an ultimate goal. It wasn't about, uh, you know, trying to look good for the beach or whatever else I, I had Instagram. A, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so you have to look at what your, what your ultimate goal is and, but be safe about it. And I always tell everyone, see a doctor. Cause nowadays like the doctors prescribe it, right. Which wasn't the case 10, 15 years ago. Right. Right. No doctor was going to give you a script for nothing back then. I mm-hmm. mean, the studies have shown now to replace testosterone. It's, it's pretty simple procedure now. Movies like Bigger, Stronger, Faster. There you go. Made people more aware of what's going on. Yeah. Um, do you think move or documentaries like Generation Iron are accurate as far as like dictating what the sport's like? Um, the first one was very fake. As yeah. far as like, you know, they portrayed Phil Heath as like a, like a, a really jer- a jerk off, you know, yeah. and that's not Phil. I mean, I know Phil well. Kai Green, they portrayed him as a broke guy. He makes mm-hmm. money. Uh, Dennis Wolf was an actor. Um, I don't know what else. They're just was. trying to make it entertaining. They, yeah, because okay. I mean, what are you going to show guys working out and eating chicken breasts all day? I mean, we talked about that. It's yeah, not, yeah. it's not, it's not exciting. So they had to show something was going on. Yeah. Do you think Kai can ever catch up to Phil? Not at this point. Damn, Phil's pretty much untouchable. Yeah. He'll win eight this year and go for ten probably. Oof. Um, did they did they test for anything in bodybuilding? In you know what? They drug tested uh, Ronnie and I one year. 
specifically in June of oh four or five, mm. whenever the the baseball thing was a, was apparent. They tested the top. They would they, just wanted to test you and say, hey, these guys are on all this shit and they're <laughs> no, fine. No, no, no. <laughs> no. You know, I don't know what they tested us for. I remember they're probably testing for compounds and, you know, at the, I don't even know what the test results were, but it was, uh, it was an off season thing. It wasn't during a contest. I mean, they, they normally wouldn't really test for anything, right? No, not now. I mean, they're not doing random testing. I mean, I always any, had physical. Any diuretics or anything? No, they, they, would... they used to. I mean, if you remember Oh, one, I failed and I fought it and ended up beating it. But mm. like, uh, they stopped doing that. They just had to memo, mo, Mohammed Beneziza died. And that's how they got that whole testing thing because it was because diuretics, he was dehydrated. That's more dangerous than steroids. Did I mean, Andreas, Andreas Munzer, did he die the same way? Yeah. I think he was, uh, overly, uh, dehydrated too, yeah. but you know, they found a bunch of steroids in his system. So too. fucking lean. Yeah. Was I mean, he was shredded. I mean, he was like one of the most shredded guys ever. Yeah, people were like, he died from being too too ripped. Yeah, Which who knows? You never know. I mean, it's most of it's dehydration, kidney failure, that mm. kind of stuff. I mean, if anyone goes in the hospital uh, the night of a competition, they're going to be in renal failure for sure mm. because you can't get that dehydrated. It's going to put too much strain on the kidneys. Mm. Where can people find you? Where can people find out more about Jay Cutler? Uh. At Jay Cutler Instagram, Jay Cutler Forex Facebook, um, my you website jaycutler.com, cutlernutrition.com, all the Instagram. I mean, Google search Jay Cutler. I'm the better looking one. <laughs> on your uh, on your Instagram, you're also letting people know like where you're going to be. Like you got you do I, seminars and appearances. I post up uh, appearances, which I'm every week somewhere else. And, uh, I find that to be uh, false advertising, by the way. Those pictures, you don't look nearly as big as you as you do, you know, in person. You don't look nearly as big as I those look photos. like shit, huh? Yeah, it's really bad. Well, I mean, I can't advertise myself like <laughs> at ST Gym over here. Right? That's right. <laughs> all right, that's all the time we got. Strength is never weak. This week, this is never strength. We're out.